Hey, what's up, everybody? Just like always, uh, I ask you to go to the iTunes or the iTunes Store, the podcast app on your phone, and rate the podcast. Give it some of those uh, five star ratings. It's always helpful for to keep it going. And then go to social media like Facebook and follow the page. Do Twitter and Untapped at JoeBob41, and then on Instagram where I do most of my posting. That's going to be uh, at Average Joe's Beer Podcast. So get all those hooked up, and then. Uh, be on the lookout. We got a bunch of fests coming up. Uh, as always, we got 350 Fest August 25th, I believe. That's uh, going to be awesome in Tinley. And then you got the Bolingbroke Brew Fest, hashtag BBK Fest. I've got more tickets coming for that to, to give away. So listen up for that. Uh, that'll be in October over at McHugh's Barbecue. And then uh, what else? What else is coming up? I think by the time this gets out, all the rest of the fests will be long past. I'm sure a lot of people are up at the Taste of the Great Midwest right now. So this episode was really awesome. It's been, you know, a long time coming, trying to get to Pipework. So thanks to Brian Pouch and his brother for hooking me up with Strong Mike, Mike Shalal over at uh, Pipeworks, the master of barrels. So he made a bunch of dreams come true for me. I got to have Pipeworks on the podcast, first of all, which was amazing. And second of all, I got to walk around in their barrel area and taste incredible versions of uh, Jones Dog uh, sitting in barrels, and it's murderous. Uh, it was it was an incredible experience. It was cool just hanging out at the facility, um, and Mike could not have been smarter or cooler, or, you know, he just, he had a lot of great things to say and, and a lot of great information on barrel aging stouts. So, I mean, it was an education, which has been kind of a theme on the show lately between Omega Yeast Labs. I've got the Brewers panel uh, that happened last night, which was incredible. So that'll be posted later on. Uh, but yeah, strong Mike over at Pipeworks, class A guy, great, great, great stuff coming out of the barrels that he's he's watching his oaken nap coordination so here's strong mike from pipeworks all right now we're actually live (laughs) thanks for doing this first of all yeah very cool of you to sit down like i said i've been i've been trying to track uh, down pipeworks for a long time so (laughs) very elusive i mean i say long time it's relative like eight months like eight months you know but you guys are a chicago institution it's like (laughs) you know cool it's it's a huge it's a huge deal to to take some time from Pipeworks and I get to sit in your conference room. Like, oh yeah, how cool is Very that? corporate conference room. Yeah, it's super not corporate though. Someone's beer cellar feel. behind you. I was gonna say it's like it's actually an adjunct uh, or an ad hoc uh, beer cellar as yeah. well. Yeah, that so, was all. Uh, it's all Scott's beer, I think, actually. Oldies and goodies in there. Yeah, when you have it's, a lot of twenty-seven thousand square feet, you're like, you can keep your beer here. <laughs> Yeah, you walk in here and it's like you know it's it's a fucking big warehouse, but it's you got the gates that you come through and you the little door for the bottle shop and you walk in and I got the dark matter truck is out there yeah. washing kegs out of there. Yeah, like, this yeah. is great. They're this good friends awesome. of ours. Well, they gotta be right. I mean, they, they you use them in your beer and yep. yeah, yeah. They use a lot of our barrels to age coffee in too. So there's like a symbiotic relationship. They use our keg washer. I They've just got, got into barrel aged coffee beans for the first time. They're they're super cool. It's like I the first u- legitimately unique thing I've tasted in coffee because I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. My wife's like, I can't drink anything else now. She's like, we can't buy Folgers anymore. Like, we, this is no good. So. Yeah. Well, we just gave them a. Uh, it was a port barrel that we finished bourbon barrel aged murderous in. So we aged murderous for eighteen months in Elijah Craig barrels, blended all those together, and then pulled out some port barrels and some brandy barrels to finish for another month. So we gave them one of the, yeah, <laughs> so we gave them some of those barrels and uh, open like I'm interested to see what comes out of them because barley wine was always my favorite beer that came out of their barrels and they always had really nice 
uh, products from fruit, fruity kind of beers. Okay. So kind of both those things, but there's no actual fruit in it. It's just the barrel itself. So what's the behind the scenes on that? Like, what's the pull back the curtain on that? So you, you're, you're giving them these barrels after use, but is it like a, an agreement you guys have? It's like it's like 50 bucks a barrel type thing, or is it like, do you just put some awesome coffee beans in us, let us have a bag of them maybe when they're done? Like Yeah, I mean, I, everything we do with them is just kind of like loose. There's no real like agreements, just kind of handshake for everything. They have a, uh, a shipping container out in our parking lot. They store all the like dry goods in. <laughs> These Don't are, tell anybody. He's like, trying to break in there. Yeah. Everyone wants to steal those whale cups, the yeah. dark matter. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, but we just uh, have had like a really symbiotic relationship. We used to be right down the street from them. Uh, okay. We always like donate beer to their parties. We've done a bunch of collaborations. Just very like-minded in how we approach. I feel like you're drinking their general. coffee right now as I well. Am, <laughs> I am drinking their coffee right now. <laughs> it's the only coffee I drink. I should probably introduce who you are, by the way, too. So, <laughs> sure. You know, sometimes I like to blow right past that. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, my name is Mike Shalau. I work at uh, Pipeworks. I'm, uh, I guess I'm the operations manager, and I run the barrel aging program. Well, tell them the real title. What is the actual title? Not uh, that you, you put much stock into it, but sure. it's um, a cool title. I think it's Master of Barrels. Is Master of Barrels. Yeah. I think my card now says Oaken Nap Coordinator. But, nice. Um, yeah. Oaken Nap Coordinator? Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Sure, yeah, because we don't do any fermentation in barrels. It's all aging and spirit character and wood character mm-hmm. extraction. So, yeah, I think uh, anybody who's had any barrel aged pipe works just got really excited to be like, "That's the guy. That's yeah. the guy I need to know. <laughs> sure. That's yeah. the guy I need to talk to." Uh-huh. And you, you got sent to me from a mutual friends, I believe, Brian uh, Pouch uh, and his brother, I believe, Tom. Yeah. yeah, Tom. Tom's a friend of my my dad's neighbor and friend. And so I met him through that. I, w- I would send beer home before we distributed in Connecticut, and he would bring it to Lou's Lounge. Shout out to Lou's Lounge, which is my Shout dad's out. my dad's friend's garage where they watch football. And so oh, nice! That's, that's how so I met cool. Tom, and that's how I met Brian. They've come Lou's Lounge. Yeah, they've come through the brewery a couple of times. They're great guys. Yeah, they're awesome guys. I said they 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 bring in the greatest bottles at bottle shares. Yeah. They always bring like awesome big bottles that you can never get anywhere else. You know, it's hard hard to get stuff. And uh, you know, they found out I did the podcast, and you know, I got introduced to them guys over at Crafted nineteen seventy nine in Mokina, and they're like. Like, this guy knows maybe somebody at Pipeworks. He might be able to get you Pipeworks. I'm like, that's a lie. Nobody's, yeah. get, nobody's getting me Pipeworks. If I haven't got Pipeworks, I'm not going to get Pipeworks. Yeah, well, and, there you go. And sure enough, he's like, here, this is his number. And you responded right away. You're like, <laughs> hey, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, Brian sent me a picture one time of like a bottle share they were having where I think they had literally a bottle of every single abduction that we've ever it's done. Crazy. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, there's stickers all over the wall in there with the, you know, the barrel-aged abduction coffee and all that. Yeah, it was, it was Jones wild. dog. And delightful. <laughs> so anyways, now that I'm done loving on all of your barrel-aged stuff, let's you talk you a little bit. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's going to be like a big love fest here. Great. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about what you do then, man. Master of barrel right. and Oaken Nap. Oaken Nap coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably, time-wise, it's probably 30 to 40% of what, like my week. Um I I don't actually brew here. Um, I mostly work in an office doing raw ingredient sourcing and uh, recipe like finalization and editing and stuff like that. Talk about raw ingredient sourcing. <laughs> yeah. That sounds super fancy, but I want to know exactly what that means. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ordering malt and hops and making sure we have what we need to brew the beer and keep the wheels turning. Uh, and then we do... We used to do a lot more stuff with adjuncts than a lot of people, but I think that the world has caught up. Uh, but finding odd, interesting ingredients that uh, maybe we haven't used before that we think can elevate a beer that we we find interesting. So, like, the, the weirdest one I've probably ever sourced is uh, Cochin Nail, 
which is uh no clue it's uh you know campari the the bit like the aperitif or digestif it's like a a very vibrantly red it's in negronis so we're making negroni beer and it became very important to me and kate whose recipe it was that we found actually cochineal which is the thing that used to turn it red and it's ground up beetles like a a insect of the beetle family and it's super super red so i went on a hunt no one really uses it anymore because there's a much more efficient and cost effective ways to turn things red but that didn't stop us from finding it food coloring no i mean it it is technically but it's like a very natural old school way to do it for some reason that got really was really important to us (laughs) we have the squeakiest chairs a conference room is you notice that (laughs) yeah i I just noticed that i think it's just you yeah it's just just you it's fine i don't care i think i'm just squeaky No, so so you're 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 doing more than you know like you said it's like 30 40% of your job is yeah. is to kind of watch the the oak do yeah. its thing but but uh you know it, it's it's a big operation for the most part I mean here at Pipeworks right I mean how would you how do you guys feel about it how big the brewery yeah, is yeah just everything like just um, from the I mean, front to the back end I mean the production it's a lot bigger than we used to be but it all happened pretty like step by step I, won't, I wouldn't say linearly because it's been ex- literally exponential growth uh-huh. but um, it all seemed to be cohesive and make sense and it was never outsized for what we thought we were capable of doing or what it seemed that people wanted how much beer that people wanted to drink from us so it has gotten a lot bigger but it's one of those things where if, uh, it's like if you see a kid who was like 8 the last time you saw him and now he's 12 you're like, oh, you're way taller and you're way different now. But then you're like, Whoa. oh, but he didn't realize that. Every day he just grew a little bit. So uh, we don't feel that much different than when we were, you know, in 2,000 square feet making a lot less beer and kind of feral children. It's a little more, uh, <laughs> a little more organized, a little bit more calm. Minimally. Yeah, yeah, minimally more organized. Much. Yeah. Um, more computers yeah. on the premise. And, yeah, a lot yeah, more computers. A lot, happening. a lot more thoughts and uh-huh. planning. Uh-huh. Maybe <laughs> Which, meetings. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> conference rooms yeah like the conference rooms exist the yeah. conferences it exists yeah, yeah. yeah. not that it's we being the, used we have the ability to do it yeah, yeah. i just it, i always find it fascinating i always wonder like do you know like let's say for example like garrett and then like gabe from half acre mm-hmm. like you know the guys at revolution like they ever see each other now and they go like what happened <laughs> like, how do we become this yeah this? i uh i don't know i think it's hard to accidentally become something like this, yeah. you know, and have to have some intentionality behind it. Um, and I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're like, who would have thought that when we opened and like, yeah. uh, well, yeah, we're going to make, never going to repeat a beer was something that I don't think we ever actually said, but became attached to us. And like, I don't think you can do that when you're, <laughs> at, at, you, know, you guys had a strong run in it for a while. Though. Oh yeah. The bombers were strong. Oh right. yeah. I mean, there was, when we started, there was no one really doing that. Um, and we were lucky to very quickly find a lot of very creative people that kind of pooled around this place and everyone had, and I had ideas and they were good ideas and we had the ability to execute them. So it was as much a, like, we're never want to make the same beer again as it is. We actually have a bunch of ideas that we want to see come into the world and they're good ideas. So, uh, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I used to, I just remember like going to shop bottle shops and stuff. I mean, and just does anything have a fish on it? Like, is there something <laughs> with a fish on it? Right. I want, I want that beer. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, those are fun. Um, yeah, that was just a, that was originally like a, just a, supposed to be a one-off thing. And then we found all these great fruit we could put in them and found that like, Oh, mango works really well in here. And it was a time when, we had done a collaboration with Tired Hands, and they're like, well, we have this hop that's kind of limey, but why don't we also put lime juice and lime zest in it? And we're like, oh, that's genius. Just double it up. Yeah. 
it was before that was like well, not probably not too far before but before it was really like of course you put fruit in ipas it's kind of like a like a not a normal thing to do but then you think about it, you're like oh people say this tastes like grapefruit fruit so why don't you just put grapefruit in it and like see how that goes hitting the enhance button on it every, yeah like over and over again and it, it also had this nice byproduct of uh incorporating some acidity into these beers so that there's a little bit more balance to the bitterness and a little bit more depth to the flavor than just it being like a grapefruit pithy west coast style ipa okay so it was an interesting way for us to um try to find ways to acidify or to change ph levels that would change the way the beer presented itself it wasn't just adding fruit to it. It was like all these other things. Because everyone here, most people here also like to cook and have like weird Isn't ideas. I love that, that, that tie-in. It's like coffee, food, beer. Yeah. They all seem to kind of get foodies, you know. Oh. I was telling you off mic about, you know, we just did the Omega Yeast Labs one. And Trevor over at Old Irving hosted us. And Trevor is like a total food guy. Oh, you know? yeah. Moto, Moto, like he's got yep. a background yeah. in it. It's just, yeah. They work together, together very well. Totally. So like, yeah. And I, when I flavor right. ingredients like yeah when i started working here maybe like a year after i started like a sourdough starter and i've been baking bread and like making pizzas and doing all, trying to figure and fermenting like other things at home too now we do don't you, do do you do like talk to adam c slack over at maplewood that dude is a uh, big uh, time into dough really but yeah oh, i'll time. have to i've never so he, he's always got like putting pictures up of like pizzas and stuff you know different stuff that he makes from you know he does the dough and all that himself it's pretty cool cool yeah i don't think i've ever talked to him about he's it he's a bread man he's a bread oh, man that's duck yeah I got really into it for a while. I don't bake nearly as much as I used to, but blacked out for a while. Got really into it. <laughs> Went really to rehab. <laughs> it's well, it's a day. It's a whole day in your life. It's like any hobby, though. Eventually, like you get sucked into it. It's just right. Like, you so can go like, as deep as you want to go. Like when you start home brewing, you're like, this takes a lot longer than I expected it to, but I kind of love this. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, and you start off with like nothing, like a stovetop and and a, and a kettle or something, and yep. then all of a sudden you have like eight thousand dollars worth of equipment, <laughs> like just like that snowball. Yeah. I'm sure that can happen in the dough game as well. Yeah, oh know? yeah. Well, I went when I started home brewing. I went from I did one extract batch, and then immediately went to all grain. Yeah, which was like, like, I got this. Yeah, don't worry I was about brewing it. in my apartment, and my roommates were like, "What are you doing? Like, I'm making us beer." <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I I had gone to Half Acre. One of my friends knew someone who worked at Half Acre, and I like. The first time I went in there, I had a bombe, and I was like, leaned to my friend. I was like, whoever says they like this is lying. Like, I don't, this is disgusting. Uh, but I love that beard, so I, like, I've changed my tune a lot. But Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Palettes tend to change. Yeah, well, I just kept going back, and I got really into, like, I get nerded out on how to make things. Like, I went to music school <clears throat> to be a jazz guitar player, and then I realized I wasn't that good at playing jazz guitar, so I figured out how to make guitars, and so I was the building. The theory, the building. Uh, I, was, I was good at the theory and the building part, but I just wasn't that good at the performing part, which is kind of the most important part to be a musician. I feel like I have a whole list of people I can match you up with just for hobbies. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dave, uh, the other half of, you know, Jerry and Dave Nelson over at Unane, you uh-huh. know, Hubbard's date, he builds guitars too. Oh, I had, no, I had yeah. no idea. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. So now you can talk to Adam about Dill and Dave. <laughs> Reach out to Dave about building guitars. Networking. Yeah, right. Yeah. For your other passions, right? When all this pipeworks thing just goes away, it just falls apart. <laughs> yeah, is, I mean, pipeworks is like you know, it's part of that kind of like that class picture of the Chicago OG beer scene. Because I mean, 
you know, biased as I am, but you know, Chicago is probably, you know, I don't want to say the best, no doubt about it, but I mean, it's pretty fucking good all <laughs> the way around. It's a very vibrant beer scene, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, and it just keeps growing and adding on, and you know, yeah. there's some closing here and there as well, but for the most part, it's just adding at an alarming pace at this point. Yeah, I think when we opened, which is, this is crazy to think about, which is maybe six and a half, seven years ago-ish, there were three packaging breweries in the city limits. And like we were the fourth. Say that again. <laughs> like six or seven years ago, there were only three packaging three. breweries in the, in the city limits. Three. Yeah, there were a couple of brew pubs, but it was just Goose Island, Half Acre. Oh, maybe Rev. I don't think Rev had a packaging facility yet. Not uh, yet. But uh, Metropolitan. Still then, killing it. Metro is just, they're just like, nope, we're making our beer. That's yeah. Us. We don't <laughs> care. We don't care about your hazy IPAs and yeah, your, they, your they, nonsense. No, they, they've stuck to their guns. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just had dovetail on recently. Same, same thought to me. Love those guys. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're, I've never seen anyone doing what uh, process-wise some more disparate things and <laughs> loggers and sweet ass cool shit in there. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah, they're they're awesome dudes and they're making some really good stuff. It's a killer scene out here, man. Yeah. But like Pipeworks <laughs> is, you know, they they get a lot of credit for being some of the first and definitely the, some of the most innovative. Yeah. I mean, you used to. X, you know, as a beer dork, you know, you X bottle shops off your list or liquor stores because nope, they don't get pipeworks. You know, <laughs> they they don't get three Floyds, they don't get pipeworks. You know, like you're just not going to go there anymore. Yeah. You know. Well, when we started, with it, there used to be a thing when you were starting a brewery. Most people like the same way when you started homebrewing, you wanted to drink beers you couldn't get. Uh, I think that's less the case now because of the proliferation of so many really good commercial breweries. But we couldn't get double IPAs, or we couldn't yeah. get like these imperial stouts we wanted to drink. So. Uh, I know that's how BJ and Garrett started. I came in a little bit afterwards. So uh, we started making beers that people made once a year. We made them like every month. So <laughs> kind of changed the dynamic of that. Take that, Pliny. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Wait. We, make, not, we definitely don't make Pliny. <laughs> We're going to uh, make double IPAs once a week. That's I mean, we did. We ended up making Ninja vs. Unicorn every other week while we were still in like a 2000 square foot facility, which kind of boggled our minds that there was that much demand for it. So, Oh my God. So it was, you know, you guys were bombers, you know, yeah. people were buying the shit out of that beer. And it was also the beer too. And you know, everything went nuts for like zombie dust, you know? Oh, yeah. So it was like, dude, if you like zombie dust, go get Ninja versus unicorn. Like you can get it at your store right. probably, you know, yeah. you don't have to like wait in line for it or drive to Indiana. Like right. just, you know, go get it. It's awesome. Yeah. And then, then when the can said it was over, you know, it's always <laughs> been a class. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one little story. My, my children are five and seven at this point, boy and a girl. And they've decided on their own because of that can to have their theme birthday party together as Ninja versus unicorn. <laughs> oh, wow. She's a big unicorn gal. And he, <laughs> they always let see me drinking that can and they love that can. So this was like two years ago. So I actually like reached out to Pipeworks and was like, hey, you know, do you have any like marketing stuff, like old stuff I could hang up during the party? Like we had the thing printed on the cake, you know, oh, it was oh, really wow. cool. Yeah. They loved it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I felt like a terrible father, but also like a really cool one yeah. at the same time. It's not like we were giving them the beer. They just, they think the logo was cool. And then she's like, I'm a unicorn and he's a ninja. Like he always thinks he's a ninja. So well, yeah, that, it's, it's so basic. It, children understand it. Right. I can definitely say that our intention was not to attract children no, to no. the can. I can, I will say that over and over Pipeworks in no way can Dones what we did as a family. It's pretty cool, though. Yeah, but it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you gonna do? So we, we touched on it briefly. Let's let's rewind it back. So you, you mentioned real quick that you know you Garrett and BJ, but but you came along a little bit later. So like, where does your pipework story start? Uh, yeah. So I, I as I said, I got a, I got a music degree and I graduated in like 2011. So there wasn't a lot of uh, employment opportunities. Okay. I thought I was gonna be a lawyer, so I started applying for these like paralegal jobs, and I would get to. Uh, 
like the third or fourth round of interviews and I'd be like, I do not want to do this and just be like, I'm not coming back. And then I didn't know what to do. Uh, I got a job, I was home brewing and I got a job at, um, Westlake View Liquors up on Addison. And, um, that used to be like kind of the only place, one of the only places to get craft beer heavy in that Shelton Brothers book. And, um, BJ and Garrett actually met while they were working there, like maybe a couple of years before me. Well, so that's kind of cool. I was, uh, yeah, a lot, like a lot of people have worked, like John Laffler worked there, um, Ron Extract, who was in at Jester King and then now has started. his name Madden. really? Extract? Yeah. Oh shit. I was at he, Jester King. That place is fucking amazing. It's, it is fantastic. It's beautiful there. Yeah. That, that guy might be responsible for like the rise of sour beers and all that. Cause he's a very subtle, but passionate advocate of those things. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so a lot of people went through that place, um, and I was working there when they opened the brewery. And I was working the day shift. And I was receiving all the beer when they would drop it off in their hatchback, so I got to know them really well. And then uh, I just started volunteering maybe six months after they opened, and I just kept showing up. <laughs> that's and, it, man. That's yeah. what you got. That's a common story that I've heard. Pretty much, just kept, just showing, kept up. showing up. I just wanted to help, I was yeah. helping whatever it was. And I knew how to use a spreadsheet, so that was nice. kind of innovative for <laughs> the rest of the volunteers. Skills we just don't have. No, they they have. Garrett has some of the craziest Excel skills I've yeah. ever seen, but he's just too busy. Formula so like, guy. He's, oh, yeah. He's working it. Yep. He's a mac- macro-enabled uh, badass. <laughs> Very much so. We have a lot of documents that are, speak to other documents, like how we cost out our beers is like four documents. Of you should beer make virtual. a beer called VLOOKUP or something. You guys <laughs> the nerdiest yes. beer. Dude, people buy the shit out of that beer. There's so many guys in office jobs that work, you know, <laughs> drink craft beer, they'd be like, yes, finally something <laughs> that speaks to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder what style of beer that would be. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it's yeah. trying to be hazy. An Excel style hazy. ale, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, was just, I just kept showing up and trying to fill in gaps wherever I could because that, that time it was just Garrett, BJ, and Scott. And then some volunteers like myself, Kate, Joe showed up pretty soon after that. Drew from 18th Street was Heard of volunteering that there. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. He was on the show too, and he he told his part of his pipe work story as well. You know, yeah. you gave Garrett and them a lot of credit. You know, getting him going for sure. Same yeah. thing. He said, just kept showing up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the spiteful guys, uh, Brad was was there too. So those those two guys plus the other kind of core group of people, all volunteers at the time. Um, they went off to start their own breweries and we just were hung around. I was like 20, 23. So I don't think that was in the, <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then we all just kind of developed into our jobs that needed to be done. Like I did some computer stuff. I also was really, really getting into bourbon and whiskey at the time. So I'd bring in all these like kind of more esoteric, weird single barrels of bourbon that were at Westlake View at the time. Or I also worked at Benny's and would scoop some stuff up there and bring it in. And then when they started about, and BJ and Garrett thought about opening a, uh, starting a barrel program. They're like, yeah, you seem to know a lot about bourbon. And no like, way. <laughs> That's <laughs> all it took? Like the guy that, yeah. Yeah, but, and I was like, I, You're going to inspire a bunch of dudes that buy a bunch of bourbon. Like, I'll be a fucking barrel master. You can't, I, like I mean, you can. I ton of four roses at my house. Obviously <laughs> you can. Um, but no, after that, I was like, sure, I can do that. And there were like almost no resources about how that's done at all that were available. Like on the internet, there's no book. Like this wasn't that long ago. No, Maybe you can't Google that. Five years ago, you can now. There's a lot there's of no YouTube videos from 2012 or so. No, there, there, you know what? There were some, but they were not at all about how to actually do it. They were just I would be watching, be like, how do they? How are they doing that? In like the background of like an advertising video. <laughs> um, and then I I uh, sat down with uh, Jared Rubin, who's now at Moody Tongue, but he was the uh, the Goose Pub brewer at the time. He just won like four or five medals at Fobab that year. I was like, so 
What? Oh, yeah, you can't even win that many Four anymore. Or five. That's fucking yeah, you crazy. can't even enter that many beers anymore. But uh, yeah, he had like won everything he entered, won some sort of medal. And I was like, so how, how do you how do you do any of this? Yeah. Like, like really stick it in there? And you just. Kind of <laughs> I mean, it ended up being in. like, yeah, that was it. Well, there there was also a podcast, uh, the Brewing Network. You have a very robust yeah. uh, podcast, but there's a lot of. Um, not great information on the one they had about barrel aging. I found out okay. uh, things like they they used like you should rinse the barrel out and then you should store it with hot water in it. And like shame on you, Brewing Network. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, uh, out of context, not knowing what they were doing, they had to store the barrel for a while, so that might make sense for what they were doing. But I would never ever do that now. So my first question was like, so what do I do when I get this barrel, Jared? Do I like rinse it out with one hot one with hot liquor? And he's like, he look he's at like, you absolutely like, no. And I'm like, I'll fucking murder you if you ask that again. Yeah, and like, don't do it, Mike. Yeah, no, those simple things like change the trajectory of how we how our barrel program came about so um, that residual goodness of uh of bourbon left over kind oh of yeah. lining the walls the government asked we dump all that out but i was, uh, gonna, <laughs> I was just gonna tell you like i can't remember who it was but they talked about it and they were like we no we dump everything out right and they're just winking at me like <laughs> right well like i may or may not have had the best bourbon i've ever tasted come out of that barrel oh i've had some of the worst i've ever tasted we, it's all char yeah. we call it char juice yeah um because what happens is when they bung them in in uh, in Kentucky, and they by the time they get here, like a bunch of wood, uh, bourbon that was in the wood is out and pulled out, so it's just like pitch black, mm-hmm. and it's mostly just char character. Yeah. And so we like we'll dump it out and we'll put it through a centrifuge and we'll filter it again, and like it's still really? it's still black. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and it's like 130 proof at that point, so yeah. it's like it's a cask strength goodness. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, no water added on this shit. Yeah, we usually trick the whoever's the newest employee into like this is so good, try it. This is like the finest Pappy Van Winkle you'll <laughs> right. ever touch. Yeah. But yeah, so I learned a bunch from him. Talked to a bunch of other people who were very open about what to actually do because there were like now there's there's there are books on wood and beer. They're mostly about fermenting in wood. But uh, yeah, there, it was just kind of trial by air, trial and error first. Figured out how we need to adjust recipes upstream to make the thing downstream come out the way we wanted it to. So like none of what we put in barrels is the same recipe as what it's called so jones dog is a different recipe for barrels than it is for something we're going to release and or a lot of people will brew split off a batch yeah. they might bottle one half and then throw the other half into wood yeah and then okay um and there's nothing wrong with that that's just a different process but we've found that the way the wood affects body and uh the perception of the beer is that you have to adjust it upstream to make it taste more like the brand you're t- saying it is when it's finished um so yeah, so everything gets a longer boil. Everything's a little bit more robust when it goes into the barrel because um, we don't top off. We don't uh, really rotate barrels. We just let them sit. And part of what we want is the oxidative flavors and positive oxidation. So you have to build a pretty hardy beer to be, let it oxidize and actually be beneficial. I feel like I want you to break down three different things that you just said. <laughs> okay. So when you for okay, you were talking about topping off. Yeah. Give a little like for dummies type, but when you say we don't top off. Yeah. So a barrel is porous. So, uh, things will evaporate out through the wood, uh, or soak into the wood and no longer, and then it will create headspace, which is, uh, a good portion of it is oxygen. Some of it's probably CO2 that's escaped from the liquid. Um, but that will cause the beer to oxidize. So a lot of people, and depending on the style of beer you're making, will top off the barrel. I mean, they brew the same beer later and then they put a little bit into the tops of each of the barrels that have had some evaporation come. So we don't do that. Um, we it actually kind of dilutes what's in there, um, and we're not that afraid of oxygen since we're not like uh, fermenting or souring in the barrels. We're not afraid of acetobacters getting in there really, which is the the thing you basically want to, which is like a really vinegary, harsh acidity. But because our beers are 
ten and a half percent alcohol when they go in there and you know finish at very high Play-Dohs. Uh, it's not really that big of a, an issue for us. And we also like a little bit of oxygen in the beer that gives it some like r- legitimate aged flavors. Um, our our average time in barrel right now is eighteen months. That's fucking crazy because I feel like a six nine. Mm-hmm. You Twelve. know, uh, we've tasted, it used to be 11 at, uh, at the old place. And that was just because of temperature difference. We have like 600, 500 barrels in there right now. We're going to have 600 probably by the end of the year. And, uh, there's almost no, there's very little temperature fluctuation because of this, the sheer mass of liquid we have in there. So if it goes, if there's a t- temperature swing of like 20 degrees in a day, it might change two degrees in there. Um, just because of how much volume of liquid that doesn't change temperatures quickly so we find it takes longer to get the actual interaction with the wood we want um and at six months if i'm if you if you've built the beer the way that we want to build them um you're just starting to get to the point where it's a cohesive flavor to me things that are less than six months kind of taste like a stout with bourbon poured in it just like a dosed basically right? yeah and there's there's nothing wrong with that those are deli- those can be delicious oh, too absolutely but um if you ever look at like this, like the across section of a stave, if you take a barrel apart, you see how deep into that wood the actual liquid before you put the beer in it got, and all of that's pretty stripped of any sort of character that the alcohol content of a beer can pull out of it. So you're just extracting bourbon out of it. So until you get past that point, you're really not even contacting the uh, lignins or the vanillins that would be in the wood to get like a. A the what's and what's lignins and vanillins they're like wood sugars okay so vanillin is obviously like vanilla, vanilla and like that's where you get those like marshmallowy flavors mm, those are good yeah so the we like getting those but with a little oxidative character uh to so it doesn't just go down one sweet kind of saccharine path um a lot of our oxidative character presents as uh like dark fruit uh, stone fruits or uh, in the lighter beers like the light, the lighter beers being the barley ones lighter yeah. lighter ones we get a, like a little bit of raisin character not, not as chewy ones is that <laughs> they're, they're all pretty chewy when uh-huh. they go in there they're all pretty big and they, everything has a bunch of oats and and adjunct malts like that like for example and we we build these beers to be barrel aged and to take oxidation so uh murderous which is a bur- barley wine we make um, the mash bill for that is meant to recreate Elijah Craig, 12 year old, it's super high and rye. Um, and cause it's a rye, high rye bourbon. We always, we always age it in Elijah Craig, 12 year old barrels. And then there's also a like 15 minute edition of uh Halletower Blanc hops. Oh yeah. Which have like a nice Venice grape note to it because as that beer ages, it gets kind of these grapey oxidative flavors. So we're trying to take things that traditionally it would be considered bugs in the beer and make them features by having like a couple different connecting points from the base beer to the, the barrel aged flavors. So when you say like they traditionally might be looked at as bugs, you're just saying like almost like off flavor or like, yeah, I mean, okay. oxidation is typically the thing that you want to avoid oh first God, and foremost yes, in beer. Do not. Well, I mean, if it was an IPA, I'd throw it in your face. Yeah. Like, well, don't oxidize it, my it, IPA. It's not good <laughs> in an IPA. Excuse me. But part of what you're doing when you sell a beer after it's been packaged is you're allowing slow degradation of the beer in traditional sense and oxidation of it. Uh, and that causes flavors to come together in certain ways. It causes reactions that aren't, they're not like fermentation reactions, but they are flavor compound reactions that okay. change the, the taste and, uh, and character of the beer. 
And so we're doing a little bit of that in the barrel rather than just putting it in for six months and pulling it back out. I think the biggest thing I'll take out of everything you just said was just the fact that you guys brew these specifically for the the barrel. Like oh, yeah. I, I don't know that I've heard that yet. I mean, is that something that you find is common practice? Uh, uh, more people are doing it now? Or, like, is it something that you feel like? I, I think a lot, a lot of people are doing it. Did we just give away a secret we shouldn't have? Like, these are all <laughs> the things I'm concerned about right now. No, we're not giving away any secrets we shouldn't. Everyone should can know what, what's going on. Um they're not too far off from the base beers, but they, there are certain characteristics. Like the body has to be bigger if you're going to put it in a barrel because the, the body's going to thin out. And so if you put like a, and the alcohol should be higher because it's going to have to stand up to characteristics that it's going to uh, really mess with the flavor profile of your base beer, from, in, my, in my opinion. Uh, so why does the body thin out if you don't? Uh, through uh, some evaporation processes and through the tannin in the wood will okay. change the way that the mouthfeel is perceived. It, the gravity of the beer won't change that much, um, okay. but the perception of it will. And some of the longer, like the bigger compounds will kind of uh, break down. That would cause the mouthfeel. There's uh, so much to, to think about in these things. Like, <laughs> to, Just to think that like you're, you're sitting kind of where you're at now because somebody was like, oh, you like bourbon a lot. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's crazy to think, you know, it, you would think it, you know, it must be easy. You know, they just let the guy that just likes bourbon go, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's all it takes. I like bourbon. Right. Well, I mean, as I said, I get really into how things get made and, uh, you, you go deep. Yeah. You go deep. That's, that's the phrase I always sure. You know, you I, go yeah. deep. I go pretty deep into these things and, and you get inspiration from other things. So like how, why people do certain things with, uh, actually producing bourbon i got like why do they use these barrels what's different with these woods uh actually i have a barrel tattoo on my arm so i got <laughs> i was just about to point that out but now that you did thank you yeah See, you're really good at this podcast thing <laughs> oh thank you um yeah well, that was a joke i was one of the only people without a tattoo here when i started working I'm like if we ever win a faux bat medal i'll get my first tattoo and then we won one which i didn't think was gonna happen uh, what did you win what did you win the faux bat medal for we won a gold medal for Jones Dog for Imperial Stout. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? And then we, we won another one for, for Murderous a couple of years after that. So is there no non-barrel aged Jones Dog? Like you, There's no there, uh, there's Jones Dog that's there's, not There's Jones aged. Dog. Okay. Well, we used to do Jones. <laughs> it's kind of hot, a funny uh, splitting of this beer. But we do we used to do a Jones Dog, an Imperial Jones Dog, and then a barrel aged Jones Dog. So okay. the Imperial Jones Dog and the Barrel Age Jones Dog are pretty similar. There's a couple of different things in the boil, the Barrel Age one longer. There's more oats and more body in that one. Um, we don't really make the Imperial Jones Dog as much anymore as like a, a release unto itself, but we do do like the 8% Jones Dogs with uh-huh. uh, kind of some other adjuncts in them. You recently was like a Neapolitan type one, right? Or yeah, we're not allowed to use Neapolitan, but... Yeah, uh, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, yeah. strawberry yeah. chocolate vanilla type yeah. thing. Yeah, yep. That was delicious. Yeah. Um, but uh, also all that stuff, we would never age that with the fruit in it. So typically we would add fruit during the fermentation process from the sugars out, but you never know which direction those things are going to take in the barrel. So this is one of those things you take from, I took from bourbon where you, they don't put stuff down and be like, that's going to be a pappy barrel. That's going to be this. They taste them when they're actually ready to get packaged. And like that has this characteristic that has this characteristic of this brand. So almost like a third of the barrels that we walked past in there are Jones dog just sitting as barrel aged Jones dog. Then I'll go through and taste them and be like, Oh, this one will work really well with coconut or this one will work really well with coffee and then create blends to add those adjuncts to them in the bright tank after they've come out of the barrel. God damn. 
I'm, my just, head's spinning right now. I'm sorry. There's so, <laughs> sorry. so much good stuff to talk about here. Yeah. Oh, but the, the the process in general is always fun to to hear about. Uh, like I first, it's my fascination with it. First started with like uh, the tastings. You know, like you'd see sometimes people would share on Instagram, whatever. You know, you're pulling nails out of a barrel. Yeah. You know, and I'm always like, like, how do you get that? invite you know like for <laughs> well, that day, you have like, it now so oh, gotta start everyone start a podcast <laughs> yeah, right jesus that's but no i think it, i think it's cool that, and it's i think it's one of those behind the curtain things that people don't realize because your beer geeks your line sitters your your you know people that are hunting trading uh secondary market stuff it's like that ba means everything sure so it's you know but but that's about as far as it goes from the consumer point of view for the most part not everybody's going to look at it like you did and say like, I want to know everything about what goes into that. Sure. Like, you know, I want the uh, Mark Summers, you know, how do they do it type, <laughs> you know, foray into it. So that's what I'm, I'm starting to enjoy is so like, uh, like how often are you touching, tasting, messing around with these barrels? I mean, I know uh, we said 30, 40% of your job, but I mean like the actual, like what's the liquid like right now? Uh, I mean, I'm tasting things multiple times a week. Uh, I, any given barrel, I hardly ever taste more than maybe four or five times in its lifetime in here. Any reasoning behind that, or are you just kind of like... Uh, I'm a smaller guy, and I can't drink well, that oh, no, <laughs> so okay. much. See, I, I don't only, know if it's that <laughs> obvious or not, but... <laughs> well, no, I can, you can't really... You can't really drink more than maybe 12 of the samples I'm pulling and not end up... Feeling pretty good. Yeah, quite <laughs> quite strong. And you can't really taste more than eight and really be tasting any nuance anymore. Just torching your mouth, like, basically, yeah. you know, after so many of them. So, but I, I guess I'm, you know, the, t- the tasting thing is, like, is what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, um, like, do you have a program set up? You're like, this is how it's done, or is it a feel thing, you know, like... Uh, for how I go in through and taste and blend yeah, those things. Yeah, when you're, when you're uh, tasting and blending and, you know, the, the science. Yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's no, like, SOP that I've written about how to taste and blend because it has to be an individual person's, or not an individual, but it, we're all organoleptic, organoleptic about that. So how it tastes, there are certain numbers. We'll, we plate every barrel, too, to make sure there's nothing growing in it that you can't necessarily taste at this point. A lot of, lot of science, a lot of lab work going on. Yeah, every every single barrel individually gets plated just in case because there's certain things that uh, in these huge beers you might not be able to taste, especially if you're doing 8 to 10 a day. Um, and so... Like if the just, plague's grown in there, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can't taste it. Yeah, it, it tastes taste like the plague. It makes it taste great. <laughs> it's the Black Death, that's yeah. great beer. Uh, no, but so we are using the scientific aspects of that, but everything about how we blend is 100% based on how the blend tastes. Um and I'm not particularly good at descriptive words, to be honest. Uh, Thank you for saying that, because I, I feel the same way about everything. Well, they're only useful insofar as someone else understands what it means to you to use that phrase. Yeah. So I'm good with people around here about, like, when I say it tastes like this, they'll know what it means. Like, to, okay. Yeah. He's yeah. clamoring on about something, and we know, we know what you mean, Mike. Yeah. We got it. We've heard it from you before. <laughs> well, there's also much more of a binary experience where there's things that just don't taste good and things that do taste good. And then you figure out how to blend them to make them all taste better. So if it doesn't taste good, we'll usually dump that barrel. We're probably dump, we're dumping less than 10%, oh, probably wow. less than five. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just into, we've only dumped, well, we dumped four barrels recently because I thought we could probably, we'd steam out sherry floor out of a sherry barrels and you cannot, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> they what? tasted great. You, we figured just out, we you figured it out though, didn't you? Yeah. Like, that, isn't that the point though? You're supposed to try these things right. and just see, you know? Right. Like, and, and that's kind of part of the beauty of having, we have 500 barrels 
full wow. right now. 500 and, barrels full. Yeah. <laughs> so you and never want to dump one. So what about like, like when you, when you, when they were like, Hey, we're thinking about starting a barrel program. <laughs> I was like, like, cool, did, like, was that four, eight barrels? <laughs> yeah. So like how fast did that just burn um, up? Well, that started the old brewery. So we got up to the physical constraints wouldn't allow us to have more than 60 going at any given time. Okay. Um, so we probably filled and emptied that basement completely of barrels two and a half times. Um, so by the time we left our old brewery, we'd probably done, I'd probably messed with like 120 to 180 barrels total. Okay. Um, and that, that place was interesting because here, most barrels that are sitting next to each other will be some, have a similar character unless the the bourbon that was inside of them is pretty different. Okay. There, it was like, everything was different because the humidity was fluctuating a lot. The temperatures were fluctuating a lot. It was always pretty hot. So... We had our glycol chillers in our basement, so the ones that were closer to the glycol chillers would age faster and get these hotter characteristics than the ones that were further away. So, so the I'm thing that's supposed to create cold creates heat on the outside. Well, it's like if you stand on the other side of the refrigerator, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Um, and so I got like I started learning how to play the basement by the third time we were putting stuff down there. Play so the basement. so we would all we would clump them all together, but then they would. But if we moved them to different parts of the basement, then they would have different characteristics. So when blended together, create a deeper more interesting experience like the uh like you know you have your home base grill when you know like oh, my hot spots are right here right yeah, here right it, here pretty now. much so you, you hit it on the, the sear right here and then you move it over here yeah i mean that, that is actually a really good analogy to it done yeah you can, I'll, I'll trademark that well and now. again it's all all this stuff is still simple time and temperature of how you're extracting these flavors so the amount of time and the temperature at which it's doing it uh you're, it's obviously different than putting it in an oven or on a grill because it's very much, much, much smaller temperature fluctuations for what we're, what I'm doing, but the time is super important. Yeah. I think, uh, I think simple is relative. (laughs) (laughs) You're calling it simple. It doesn't feel so simple. Well, I find as someone who gets really deep into things, I find going as deep into the complexities as you can to figure out what's going on is great. And then having the restraint to not let that rule what you're doing. Um, the knowledge is great, but how it tastes is, is king. So even if I didn't, even if you don't know what lignans or vanillins are, you can, you trust your palate and know that that tastes good to me. And that doesn't, I think we were, I don't know if this was on the, we were recording, we were talking about this, but I think part of why people buy craft beer in the first place is that they can sense human beings on the other side of the making of it. I, I don't remember either, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's run it back again. Yeah. So it's not like a faceless corporation that's putting something out. It's like you, there's people and I can sense them. And that's what like the individual palettes of people creating these types of blends is to me. So yeah. if I really find that uh, enticing and interesting, I uh, think that's, that's part of the reason I fell in love with craft beer. Right. I mean that, that's, and that, that same concept applies to so much in this world and in this industry of, of beer uh, in I think it's it's an education thing too. I mean, hopefully anybody that bothers to listen to this gets a little of that education. Sure. It's comforting to hear you talk about that, you know, because even on the consumer side, when you're, let's say you're getting together and some people are bringing some bangers together for a, a, a bottle share or something, it's like, how much are you being led by untapped or tasting oh, notes or totally. things you've read or things people have told you when you're tasting them? And how much is it like, do I need to use all those descriptive words that you said you're not good with? Do I need to tell you about all the mouthfeels and, the, right. and everything else, you know, the notes that I'm getting or, or, or is it just a really good beer or like it's an okay beer or it's just, it's not for me. Yeah. Like, like, everything can go as deep as you want to go. Yeah. Perfect beers for me are beers that someone who has never had craft beer before can enjoy on a certain level. And someone who has had every beer and knows everything they're supposed to like can also like 
get as deep into and enjoy as well. Uh, those are few and far between, I think. Yeah. But, uh, is there anything better than like handing somebody that doesn't care anything about the thing that you love the most? You hand it to them and they go, this is pretty good. Yeah. Like, yes. I, I like this. Yes. You're yeah. getting it. Yeah. You're getting it. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's the goal is to have, uh, when you're making anything like this, I try to keep the goal in mind that this is just a conduit for people having a good time with each other. Um, and so you want to make it as pleasing in and of itself as possible, but you also want to make it a thing that people can commune over and like, it doesn't have to be the star of the show. It can be if it's like something that's truly exceptional, but like hopefully it's Jones talk. But really it's just that we're trying to make community for people and make it easier for people to talk to each other. Yeah, that's the thing. Unless you do it on the internet, then then <laughs> there was shit all over it. Sure, people, sure. Know, like one be like, person would be like, "I would give up my my only child for this beer," and then the other guy would be like, "That's the worst fucking beer. I drain poured that beer. Yeah. Drain poured it." Well, there's a delicate uh, balance between uh, in understanding what those things actually mean. So. Uh, most of the time for us, we found that when someone really hates something we did, it was probably our fault in setting up expectations of what they were going to get. Uh, I really firmly believe we haven't made a lot of things that aren't objectively well-made beers. So when someone's like, this was terrible, it's like, well, you didn't like it. And maybe it was our fault for saying what it, that it would be this thing. And then what you got was something you weren't expecting. I didn't taste uh, any of that stuff that it said on the label. Oh man. I, get, I read, I, I hardly ever read those reviews anymore. Cause I, uh, but Smart. I've, I've read some ones of like <laughs> a beer we make. That's like a huge body with a ton of lactose in it. Cause like, I don't really get any lactose. And I'm like, I don't think you, you might not know what lactose tastes like then. Cause it's, right. it's in there. And you hate to be that guy. That's like, that's like, maybe you're an idiot, but you know, <laughs> well, but like, you know, in a nice way. And I'm like, maybe you just don't understand what like, <laughs> right. I'm somewhere, uh, trying to walk a middle path of being like, if you taste it, it's, it's in there and being like, there are technical things that I know are in this beer that if you say they're not in there, I just don't know how to, how to explain you to you at this that. point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, and with, with some of those like more flowery words we were talking about that I'm not particularly good at, uh, if you say that any of those things, they're not, none of them are wrong. If you taste that there, it's in there for you. Mm-hmm. This is all, it's a hundred percent subjective experience. But when you tell me that like this beer doesn't have this ingredient in it, I'm like, it's in there. And like, it's like a binary of I can taste it or I can't. And if you can't taste it, then I don't know what, what's going on there. Cause we put a lot of it in there. You get a lot of it. Like, well, I'm not getting any of the vanilla off it. I'm not getting the uh, barrel off this. You oh. know, like, that's a, if there's one thing that our barrel aged beers are, they are uh barrel, forward <laughs> yeah yeah seeing as i started as like a bourbon drinker is my fort my entry point and thinking about how to make a barrel aged beer um we want that to be like there it's in somewhat in balance but those beers are so intense as it is that the balance is at a different volume level than everything else so if there's a hierarchy we want like the beer to be a to be one and then the barrel to be like just behind it you definitely want to know, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's that common, you know, uh, there wasn't much barrel on it or like, Oh, there's too much barrel. It was all barrel. Like, yeah. You read these back to back reviews and you're like, I'm not sure if you guys were having different batches or what happened, but these right. are the two diametrically opposed opinions of this beer. Or the, uh, well, maybe you got it off the early part of the barrel. Maybe you got it off the end of the barrel. Like maybe you got the, uh, yeah, the, a different barrel of it. Like, I mean, how close, I mean, if you're, if you're packaging up, Jones, barrel aged Jones dog, right? Yeah. Let's say, let's say all right, you're doing a packaging around of bombers of barrel aged Jones dog for you. You're part of it to get the party started. Like, are you selecting 
five, seven, eight, ten barrels. So we, we usually do 30 barrel batches of during fermentation of those, which means I yield 14 to 16 barrels in these days. Okay. And then, um, for the most part, and then we'll usually have two or three batches of that volume that are ready when I'm, when I think that they're tasting what good. And they're usually within four to six months of each other. And so we'll, we'll create a three different batch blend of different things. And so, um, depending on what the beer is tasting at that time, cause it's definitely not the same most of the time, uh, we'll almost always do a version of Jones dog by itself. And then we'll figure out what, uh, what we can turn the rest of these, these barrels into. Cause we can't fit, uh, you know, whatever that number that is now like 36 to 48 barrels into our bright tank. So we, we would have to do separate batches of it. Um, and we just like having a variety of stuff. And when stuff, for me, when things, when we add an adjunct to something, it's like, oh, this is screaming for it. Like, I try not to impose adjuncts onto those beers. It's just if I taste them and then, or and the part of the process that I've left out kind of uh, sadly is that I'll be tasting the barrels individually and I'll be making blends with the, uh, the leftover parts of my tasting glasses. And I'll carry them around the brewery and let everyone else taste what I, what the blend I've made. And it's not a very scientific process. It's more of me watching their reactions and instinct. Well, there, there's a very different natural reaction to something that is really good and something that is just okay. And so I'm watching for that reaction more than I am for like, what do you smell and what do you taste? Cause I know what you smell and taste. I, I just smelled it and tasted it, but is it, is but it, do you is, though? is, is like, it really good? <laughs> Cause it isn't like they perceive differently though. I mean, sure. But, uh, uh and we do often talk about what, what you smell and taste, but I'm more interested in how viscerally okay. are you responding to this. Yeah, like a from, true, <clears throat> un, you know, unbridled emotional response to yeah. it. It's, it's in the eyes. Yeah. yeah. This sounds, sounds, thing out loud sounds very like floral and silly, but. Very pretentious and assholey, Mike. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I know what you're saying. Right. It's that same thing we talked about when you hand a non-craft beer person a beer and they and you see like the reaction, you're like, oh my God, they actually do like it. Like, yeah. You, yeah. you can feel it. Yep. And. and the way I do, I'm, it's, I'm walking around with something that I just blended for people, so they're everyone's going to say that it's good. At, at least yeah. say it's good. Yeah, just, just smile at Mike and, and say it was P- good. Pretty right? much, yeah. but the visceral reaction you can't control that. So now when they all listen to this, they're all going to pretend like things. <laughs> okay. But um, but yeah, give them a good show on this one. So I've been saying I, I do this a lot, but really, if it's everyone else doing it with me too, just in a less uh, uh, micro sense. Um, but yeah, so then we'll taste and see what, which adjunct is, if, if there's an adjunct screaming out to be put into it and which one it would be. So like, uh, cough, hyper dog, uh, end of days, uh, all of those Jones mm, dog variants are, are just, <laughs> thank you. Uh, those are just aged as Jones dog in the barrels. And then if something in the wood character or, or the way that the body is changed affects like what we can put in it. Yeah, what, are the, what are the triggers for you on that? What are the adjunct triggers for you? Like what uh, tells your brain like, man, this is screaming for coffee or whatever. Uh, for coffee specifically, it's sweetness and body because when we add coffee, it'll add acidity. Um, and so that acidity will lower the perceived mouthfeel even further. Um, so there's a fine line between wanting to put those really big, really sweet barrels into the, the normal blend, the base blend that we would do and saving them for, uh, for coffee, um, cherry for abduction is kind of the same thing where if it's like if you have a really, really big mouthfeel, it can take on a little bit of acidity and not, uh, lose the body. Um, coconut is the opposite for me. So if it's like kind of, uh, less sweet, 
add some more perceived sweetness with the coconut, which adds no sugar, but uh, the the way your brain works is you think it's sweeter because there's coconut in it. So okay. it all kind of brings things back to the mean of what Jones Dog tastes like to uh, to me and to us. So, so so what is Jones Dog to you by itself? On so a, just just Jones Dog. The, the like the uh, the concept of Jones Dog is milk chocolate. Um, so it's like a sweeter, uh, with the sweetness and the maltiness up front with the chocolate character slightly behind it. And then the vanilla and the cacao kind of behind that. Uh, whereas juxtaposed with abduction is our dark chocolate beer to me. So a lot more roast character, a lot bigger, a lot less approachable in a lot of ways. Um, which, uh, (laughs) when the only thing people aren't allowed to say about anything I bring around or they're allowed to say it, but the only thing I'm just like, you can't, that doesn't help me is smooth. People say smooth Shit, to describe smooth. stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got to be guilty of that. I'm like, man, it's fucking smooth. It's it's a you know I think people are saying it when they like something, but they don't know what else to say. But it really isn't. I'm, it's not a goal of mine. <laughs> it's not a goal to make just, those things smooth. It goes down your throat, and it's like it's just smooth. It's like yeah, it's uh, greased right down there. I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, what is smooth? Well, I in drinking bourbon, smooth bourbons to me are incredibly boring. Um, they're inoffensive, and they're just light and sweet so when you have really interesting things or these kind of jagged edges of rye or of wood character of the proof being a little higher than normal that like actually cause you to have like a response to it like the so, burn i mean you know a lot of people describe it as burn when they drink whiskey sure i bourbon, you know? well the burn i think is more just high alcohol content when you drink bourbon i'm it's more of like a like a pepper spice versus a, a temperature heat okay. where it's not it's not spicy i'm not saying that but there's like a, a pinchiness to yes. it on the tongue that isn't necessarily a heat component to me that gets described as like spicy or, or hot but it's off-putting for some people because they're like, man, I can't just slam these. Like, right. These are like, you know, but yeah. it's a sipping so drink. It's, well, it's also why there's a smaller market for, you know, 18-year-old Elijah Craig than there is for regular Maker's Mark because Maker's mm-hmm. Mark is incredibly smooth and offensive and, and consistent every single time and mm-hmm. Elijah Craig 18 or Pappy Van Winkle isn't like just, that. It's just all over the map. I mean, yeah. it's different complexities that maybe not for everyone. Right. And so smooth isn't, it's not a great descriptor for any of those things. So I'm not looking for the, them to be smooth. I'm looking them to be, they, they should be a little aggressive. They're 13% alcohol when they're done. They're soaked in bourbon. There's oak in there. There's, you know, four, four to 5,000 pounds of malt. It's been boiled for four hours. It's, it's probably not going to be the, yeah, it's probably not going to be the most approachable thing. And to shoot for that goal seems to be a silly errand for that style. It should be uh, pleasant and drinkable smooth and smooth dog. Yeah. <laughs> but to sh- shoot for something that like has very little character, or very little edge to it is not interesting to me. I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a good educational piece. I think for myself specifically, I don't care about anybody who's listening. It's for me right now. Right. I'm, I'm enjoying that. Uh, right. So, well, so you, that you strike me as the perfect person. I've asked this question of, of a few people, but, but I want to, I want to ask you this now. I, I'm not a big uh, seller guy. I don't save a lot of things. Sure. I mean, maybe some basic shit like I'll, you know, so I can have a vertical of like Bourbon County one day, you know, like maybe one of those bottles because it's fairly readily available nowadays. But, but uh, how, what are the about consumers sticking bottles and I got to buy five bottles. Like I have two to drink, one to keep, you know, one of them to age, one of them to share, you know, all sure. that stuff. Like I, I think Sean, maybe over at more, he's like, he, he told me like, he's like, you gotta trust me. Like I released it because I think it's ready for you to drink. You know? Yeah. I think I used to be much more hard lined that way where it's like, don't age anything, no matter what it is. I re- we released it when it was ready. Uh, drink it now. 
Uh, I think I've softened on that a little bit to the effect of just know what you're doing to it. Know why you're doing it. Don't just put something down because it has, it's high in alcohol. It's mellow. Yeah. I mellow it out. Yeah. I mean, like, what you're... Is that a thing? Is that real? Want to mellow it out? Uh, sure. I, I don't drink a lot of cellared things. Even the stuff I keep for myself here, I keep in the refrigerator. One? The cellar behind us? <laughs> Not my cellar. <laughs> It's just cardboard boxes uh, in a conference yeah, room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> at a wild I have, temperature. I have a couple boxes of like my quote unquote cellar at home. And it's mostly like sour and lambic stuff, stuff that's still alive in the bottle. But when you put a, a barrel aged stout in the bottle, there's nothing fermenting. There's nothing that beer's not going to get any better, ver- like in the terms of. Uh, I'm not what I want it to taste like, I guess. But uh, if you're going to sell it, know that what you're doing is slowly letting it degrade and oxidize, which we talked about before. I'm letting it do that in the barrels too, to a point that I think is beneficial. So there probably is some benefit to what's going on in there. If you really are looking for that character, there's a threshold where she cross it. I'm guessing it's not a good return on investment. And if you're, you know, I, I had a roommate a while back who we lived in the third floor of a radiator building. So it was like 90 degrees all the time up there. And, uh, he had thousands of a thousand bottles that were just, what? yeah, he had a lot of <laughs> a thousand of anything in, a, in an apartment on the third floor <laughs> was, of a radiator building. It was a pretty big apartment. It's a guess. plush apartment you were living in. Yeah, it was, it was a large apartment. Um, it was a cheap apartment though. It was not, it was not nice. <laughs> the tub didn't drain, but, but he could fit a thousand bottles in there. And we're just like, we would drink them and even both of us would be like, this isn't getting any better. So just know what you're doing with it. If part of, if, if you're doing it to see what happens to beer when you age it like that. If you're playing science with no, it, sure. Yeah, noble, noble experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, I think there's a it's, a, it's a myth that it will get better over time like that. It will get different, but it's unlikely to be better it's in almost, my, in, for what I want to drink it from it. It almost feels like we pulled that like unintentionally from like the wine community or like, sure. you know, uh, liquor community, you know, like where you're like, oh, it's aged. It's right. been aged. Totally. And, but if you look at people who are buying cases of wine, if they're doing it uh, and like at the scale that a lot of like people who buy these types of beers are doing it, they have like a wine cellar, they have a room or they have a fridge they keep it in. Temperature controlled of some sort. Or and so that's going to keep it better for longer. Um, like I said, I have a fridge in my office where I keep all of our, all of a case of like every barrel aged thing that we've done just to see how it goes. I'm going to need to see that fridge. Oh yeah. We can break into it later. Do you have an inventory on it? No, no inventory (laughs) system. They're they're mostly end up being gifts for people. I have bags. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, Yeah. But so I think if you're going to do it, do temperature controlled and know what, why you're doing it. Don't just do it to do it. Don't do it because you had a FOMO reaction to buying five bottles of something yeah. that you really only wanted to drink two of. And then five years later, you're going to have a bottle share with your friends to bring out this, this dude, 2015 bro skeleton of a beer that someone worked really hard on. And then all you guys are going to, and then all you guys are going to make fun of it and untapped yeah. and hurt my feelings. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, that beer sucked. <laughs> that beer yeah. fucking sucked. Like, yeah. Well, it was in a 12 ounce bottle from nine years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the same concept to me as when you go into a liquor store and they're, you know, they've got a, 12 month old IPA, you know, sitting on, right. sitting on the shelf. And then it's like, that's your perception of that brewery forever now because right. you bought, you know, you didn't look at the can date or like they didn't bother or the reps didn't come clean that, you know, yep. shelf up. And it's like, you know, you, you don't want to, 
you have a responsibility, I think, now because we're all more educated. I think the consumer is deep in in it. They're educated about it, especially if you're bothering to sell their beers and right. you're going to releases that are not easy to get to and waiting in line for an hour, whatever it is to get it. Like you have yeah. a responsibility to that, you know, even to that brewery to right. to not hand that to twenty other people and be like, dude, twenty fourteen, uh, you know, barely. <laughs> I mean, sure they got a bunch of alcohol in it. It's probably not going to be terrible, right? But at the same time, I like to put trust in the guys that do the work that, that are professionally doing this. Yeah, so yeah like, said, man, I, you released it. I bet it's pretty good right now. Yeah, I'd prefer you drink everything we release within the first six months to a year. But if you're going to lay it down, know why you're doing it. Like, and have expectations in line with what's going to happen. Like, you're not buying something that's meant to be that old. I think Bourbon County Stout did itself a disservice by putting a good years. up to five years mm-hmm. on it because it's not <laughs> like it's I much mean, it's much it, better like earlier on it uh, also gives i think it also we're 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 as as humans as as americans even you know we're, we're we're easily led sometimes i mean not everybody but most people can be easily led to because they, somebody tells me that it's a 2013 I'm like oh this was better because sure. it was it's, it's older you know yeah. it was older so clearly yeah. that means better and i'm gonna make myself taste it yeah. and make myself think it's better like when in all honesty i'm like see yeah. me that 2018 Jones Dog, you know, like right. whatever, you know, that, right. give me that fresh one. I like right. that one. I mean, that's part of the fun though, is tasting how these things are different and how they're the mm-hmm. same. But as just, long as you're doing that, as long as you're consciously thinking like I'm doing this to kind of be like, wow, this is what happened to this beer after this long and like right. accepting that, not running to your untapped to be like, this is garbage. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Don't, don't ever do that. That's yeah. mean. It tastes like <laughs> oxygenated nonsense. You yeah. Know, like, just don't think there's going to be some sort of alchemy that's going to take it from being a really great beer into like some transcendent Whoa. world of like rainbow shooting out of the bottle. It's probably more likely going to be a slow degradation towards the opposite of that. Yeah. So I love it. I see that. It's, I think it's a good, I think it's a good conversation to have with people. Yeah. Cause we just get so enamored with, the thought and the chase and the, and the, you know, you just, so many people say, you know, I forgot about this one. Right. (laughs) And I I understand like, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by it all the time. So it's a little less precious to me. So I understand if you spend a lot of time and effort getting some bottles, you want to save them for a special occasion, but occasion, but if you're saving them for years for a special occasion, that beer, you're doing a disservice to both the beer and the occasion. Like you're going to be drinking this beer that's all oxidized and goopy and, uh, that's a good one. Ruin your child's birth, maybe, because you had to take the wrong beer. I want to see that on Untapped. <laughs> goopy, a little goopy. That's the appearance. Yeah, that's know. the appearance section, right? Goopy. Yeah, goopy. So we, we touched on a little bit of uh, of you know uh, jazz jazz guitar. Uh, <laughs> sure. You know your night. You know third floor apartment. Like like what, what was your before pipeworks? Uh, story i mean how far back do we want to go I, we can uh, go back to the to the day your dad had a goopy beer that, <laughs> you know it's like i'm celebrating uh, my son sure uh i was born in connecticut originally um but my Is mom it as bad as they say no no <laughs> no it's it's beautiful but Kidding. it's a very boring place to be when you're older than you know 12 um so my mom's from the south side of chicago my dad's from iowa so i came out here to go to college and i have almost all my extended and families out here in connecticut yeah. How did you, South Side of Chicago, Iowa, yeah, Connecticut. They moved around for my dad's job a lot, and okay. he worked at a nonprofit called Junior Achievement, uh, and ended up in New York for like 30, 35 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. My, my parents still live in Connecticut, and my mom's a teacher there, and she likes, my dad's retired and does some consulting work. Sweet. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, grew up there, came back here for college to do the music thing. Thought I was going to work at like a record label or be a lawyer. Of course. Then yeah, I did yeah. some internships at record labels, and they were. This was like my first internship was in like 2008, 
uh, and they were really dying. <laughs> like they, this I is would, gross. I would go back to the same one a couple of times, and people would just be gone. I was working in the radio department at Warner Brothers, and uh, yeah, they were just. I'm like, where's 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 Chuck? Oh, Chuck doesn't work here anymore. Chuck was really nice. <laughs> Chuck was great. Shit. Um, yeah. So like those, neither of those things made sense by the time I actually graduated. I I did a bunch of interviews. I think I, I for paralegal positions, and I just really did not feel comfortable. Uh, by the time I would get to the final interview and just would <laughs> say, I can't do this, uh, which was part of this like discovery process of, I always was, did cr- like music or something creative like that. But I always also fashioned myself as like a more practical person who could like, my idea was I'll be the lawyer for all the creative people who can't do the, the desk work. And I found out very quickly that I'm like, I'm also a person who's not that good at the <laughs> desk work as long as I'm not like super into what I we're like doing. I like that you're honest with yourself too. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the first time I was ever got like really, really anxious because I knew I was doing the wrong thing. But thankfully my parents were like, well then don't go back to that interview if it's really that wrong. Uh, which was <laughs> now looking at it in crazy for them because i was living halfway across the country i had no job and i just graduated from college and like <laughs> to, to, for them not to be like just get a job be, of any sort i don't care yeah I don't they, care at this point they were super great um yeah and so i didn't know what i wanted to do and i just started working at i started working at a liquor store and a booking agency at the same time and the booking agency was an internship that was about three months and at the end of that like they were a lot of people got hired i didn't get hired at the booking agency and that's kind of when i took this like well i'm gonna do this now and got really got even more into beer than I already was. And like, actually like I had rape beer was around, untapped wasn't around, but rape beer and beer advocate was around. I never got heavily into those, but I had notebooks of the similar things full and full of, uh, all the stuff I was around at West Lakeview. So like phantoms and cantions and all these things before they got almost impossible to get. Um, and just making a lot of beer. Like I didn't, not a crazy amount. You hear people like I've homebrewed 800 batches. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah. I probably did less than a hundred before, I started working here and thing I always tried to make the lowest ABV pale ale I could, which was you kind of fun. Session guy. Yeah. Just, I, someone said it was hard. So I was like, like a session bro. Like, see, let's see if I can keep tweaking this thing. Uh, which is kind of funny to think about how, when I started here, nothing was lower than 8% alcohol. And now most of the time I spend is nothing's lower than 11% alcohol. Yeah. Uh, you're not making mango guppies. <laughs> I mean, I, I I do work on all those recipes, but uh, it's not the thing I'm focused on here for like <laughs> for that. Uh, but yeah, it's just funny. Um, so yeah, I was working at West Lakeview. Um, worked there for about a year, and that's when I started volunteering here. Left there, I worked at Benny's for about ten months, and then I got started getting paid here finally. And just I would work uh, four days a week at Benny's three days a week at Pipeworks and then every other week I'd take a day off because I was going to kill myself oh, well, with that's work. A lot. That's a lot to do. Yeah, um, I was also making like $8 an hour. Right. So <laughs> I needed to work that much to be able to afford my rent. You weren't rolling in the dough at that point? No, not at all. All the glamour and yeah, such goodness a gl- that comes glamour, along with those two job. jobs. I would take uh, low fills and try to trade them for, for yes. food at bars. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I got that ninja. I got that ninja fresh off the line, that's, son. Yeah, that's low actually fill. pretty true. 21 ounces. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> 21 fresh ounces. Drink it now. Uh-huh. Drink it fresh, homie. Yeah. Literally so. just put the cap on this hours ago. <laughs> I did hand cap yeah, those. That's awesome. Yeah, we were hand capping and hand filling everything, and for a while out of that place for years. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any like stories that you'd stick out to you when you were, you know, first volunteering? Like when, like, was, was it weird the first time you like, you know, how did you even think to volunteer here? Did you meet somebody that 
you knew or like they'd come yeah. into the shop over at, that you were working at yeah Garrett like, and, and BJ come over and Garrett and BJ met working at um, at Westlake Liquors a couple years before I worked there um, and so I was receiving all the orders during the day and uh, I got to know Garrett and BJ pretty well not pretty well I got to know them and then uh, they're like you should come by check it out and so one day I uh, I took the bus down to right around where that was to eat and I was like I'll just go walk over and check it out uh, and there was nothing going on. <laughs> it was all empty. It was just Garrett, like, homebrewing a test batch of, I think, like, a foolish wit or something like that. And so I came back, like, the next day. I just kept coming back and trying to fill in, like, gaps of what I could see being done. I, I had no idea how to actually brew or clean the tanks or sell or anything, whether there, there were things you could clean and things that you could organize and things that you could, uh, like, I don't know, I milled all, I milled all of our grain for a okay. while with, on a hand mill. That's what we were still making seven barrel batches, so it wasn't just that crazy. cranking it. Yeah. Um, I just kept doing that, trying to learn more, re- reading a lot, of, a lot of books. When I was um, working at Benny's, my lunch break, I would just read uh, Designing Great Beers by Ray Daniels on my lunch break for an hour every day. Okay. And then more when I got home. And that was really great for the foundation aspects of what we were doing. Because if you, I'm sure you'll talk about this in your, uh, that upcoming adjunct stout podcast, but you have to make a good stout first or else people will be able to perceive it as like, oh, this is just lactose and, and all this other stuff yeah. on top of it. We just masked and, the bad stout with a bunch of delicious flavors. Right, of, and, yeah. and people see through that pretty pretty easily. Whether or not they can articulate what they're tasting about that technically is different, but you can tell that when people are like, this is not a good base beer. So learning reading a book entirely about brewing base, basic BJCP-style guideline recipes okay. helped in the making the weirder stuff. To read like water. I'm actually reading water right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've had it's, a lot of people say, I mean, it's tough to read, but just, you know, definitely <laughs> worth it. Yeah. It seems like one of those books that could have been 20 pages and like 10 pages of charts and it would have been fine, but they're like writing paragraphs about adding calcium chloride. Nice. Like, and look at the, Oh, I can just look at this chart. But nice. Yeah. I'm, but I'm reading it front to back just to make sure that's the just case. Just to be sure. Yeah. You might find a, a gem in there. A little, yeah. little Easter egg that yeah. you didn't even know about. I mean, that's basically how any of the theories I have about parallel aging work. Because I read something that had almost nothing to do with it. that had a little gem of it in there and was able to kind of extrapolate that out with with a little bit of uh, trial and error. So uh, when when it comes to stouts, I mean, is water is always a fun conversation for like the person that doesn't know anything about like how, what goes into that, mm-hmm. you know. So like how how deep does you know IPA seem to be really important yep. to have good water? I'm guessing stouts also. Yeah, yeah. Um, we play a lot with different salts that we add. Uh, we don't add them to the mash typically because the the acidity of the uh, roasted malts and the caramel malts we're using get to the right mash get to the right mash pH for. Uh, the enzymatic reactions and all that to be right in the nice in the pocket. Uh, we usually add them later in the process, uh, usually like kind of whirlpool kettle, so that the uh, acidity, the perceived acidity, is lower, uh, leading to a larger, a bigger mouthfeel. The water we have here is actually really good for making these types of stouts. Lake Michigan, just, yeah, okay. So Lake good, Michigan, like base. We put it, yeah, we put it through a charcoal filter. Um, that's pretty much it. We'll, for like paler beers, we'll use some phosphoric acid in the mash to bring it bring it down to the wheelhouse uh and then some in the boil as well to get it where the yeast likes it ah yes you gotta make sure the yeast likes it that's yeah. the big thing yeah because you're not making beer right right you're making making yeast instilled instilled that in me you're, <laughs> you're making uh food for the yeast right that's all sugar, yep. sugar water yep the yeast does the work so i mean we t- i know we're 
our main focus with talking to you is the barrels, but you know that you you gave me uh this you know super premium hypster beast mode yeah. uh, can. So so the the hazy game, the yeah. uh, the pale ale game. I mean, you guys were always known for the pale ales. Well, yeah. you know, since inception, it feels like right. We've been and making those Ninja vs. Unicorn was the second batch of beer that okay. was ever brewed at the original facility. It still holds up today. <laughs> How great it's is gone, that? It's gone through a lot of iterations, but it's oh, uh, yeah. it's more or less the same. But I mean, like, was it hard for the guys to be like, "All right, we're going to do this"? Like, did, was no. I mean, we're usually open to to any sort of ideas like that. But uh, we had a lot of versions of those types of beers, the hazy beers that weren't uh, pleasing to us. They were they were not at all as they were described. Um, and I th- there was a lot of misinformation floating around on different like they might be like homebrew forums or like conversations people are having with secondhand with people who make them about how and why they're hazy. And we're almost never a brewery that does something just because, well, just because we want to know what, what, why would this be better than if we were to make it the way we make it normally. And so we worked with a, a couple of breweries in New York. We worked Joe Kabavi here, worked with a couple of breweries in Florida and all across the country to figure out like, how are the people that we respect, and really like the beer they're making yeah. doing it rather than just being like, Oh, you just had flour and then put, uh, flour. You know. yeah, Stop it. I don't, I think Stop that, it. that became a very overblown thing. I, I don't think, think most, think, brewers, yeah. hardly any brews. Feels are actually like doing a myth. That. Almost. Yeah. Maybe one person, maybe, maybe somebody tried it. And there were a lot of like things about like, cr- the hopping rates of these that were like, this is nuts. Whoa. Like that can't be what it has to be. Eight pounds per barrel. Like, you know, yeah. like, I've heard a few different four pounds, one well, eight pounds. It, I, I feel like it's gotten to the same point as, like the IBU wars were like maybe 115. Yeah, where it's like you you literally cannot perceive 115, 120 IBUs or 200 IBUs after after it's a it's a diminishing curve as it is, but after 100 it's all basically the same. So I I have no like scientific evidence of this, but it seems like the same things happening to the the oils in these things where like the, you can't be ex- like extracting very efficiently at nine pounds per barrel, and it can't be that much of a difference aromatically and flavor-wise to people. Um, and the difference we've perceived, or at least I perceived, I can't speak for everyone, is that I don't particularly like them at that rate as much. I like them to still be, you know, con- you want to drink another one. Like, this is only a 6% beer. A lot of golden naked oats, mosaic and amarillo. Um, then some mosaic cryo powder. Um, not a, and not a crazy rate of hopping, which I feel like I shouldn't even be saying because I think that's like the, that's how you try to convince people your hazy IPA is good. But um, I I find it better at this hopping rate, uh, at least for a six percent beer. When you're doing something higher, you should hop it higher. But um, yeah, it's got the uh, yeast from Omega in it that that doesn't flocculate particularly well, okay. which, which we tried to avoid back in the day. <laughs> yeah, we we're not even that old, and I feel like an old man saying that type of stuff. Back in the day, well, relative. It's all relative. Yeah. I mean, you guys are old when it comes to, you know, the scene itself. <laughs> well, we made this beer a long time ago called Sonorous. That was in a series of English-style summer ales we made, but it was not an English-style summer ale at all. The English-style summer ale, like ABV, tops out at like 2.8. This was like 9.5. 2.8. Uh, it was just like a... <laughs> it was one of those things where like we set up the wrong expectations, but it had, you know, London 3 ale yeast. It ha- was heavily dry-hopped with uh, Nelson Salvin. We're like, this beer is fantastic, but we released and called it an English-style summer ale on like the coldest day of the year that year, <laughs> in like February. And so the, the brand had no... <laughs> Like no one wanted to buy that type of beer at that time, so we made a beer like this that was hazy in that way that 
we didn't intend it to be by act like by accident because yeah. there was all the things that went on to become this thing but we we liked it, it was like well bubble gummy but we were doing so well with the clear stuff and then the fruited things that we it wasn't a, the avenue we chose to go down i'm not saying we invented it by any means it was well after trillium and tree you house can say it, it's fine no i'm <laughs> just saying we, we, we accidentally made one and now we look back and we're like huh i guess we did that we did that a little bit and then we went away from it well, yeah, but, because I, I remember when this started really c- catching on around here, I remember people being like, God, when is Pipeworks going to do one of these, you know? Like, <laughs> sure. God, why hasn't Pipeworks done this yet? Man, I wish Pipeworks would do one. Well, we we had the luxury of having a very um, healthy consumer base that would that was buying what we what we, what we make. Uh, so I think a lot of people make hazy beers, particularly out of some sort of out of necessity for their, their business model to be robust, and we would never needed that. We do them now because we think that we were making versions that we're really proud of. Um, I'm not saying that's why anyone, everyone's doing hazy beers by any means, oh, but sure. I think that that's well, a kind lot of, of the a, stigma around them. People a lot. like to make what they like to drink too sure. sometimes, and I'm sure yeah. that there's a good cut of brewers and with how new a lot of the brewers are, you know, and the breweries are. are I'm sure it's perfectly reasonable to think that like that's what those people like, you yeah. know, not everybody. Well, yeah, and and to speak to the idea of like people want to, you want to make what people want to buy, and, like that's good business. And if you really stand by your product, then there's nothing wrong with that. Just because you might fall into a category that some people malign, that's you shouldn't listen to what they're saying if you believe in what you're doing. Yeah, as much as people hate to talk about the business side of this this world, it is business, and it's always shocking to people to hear like the margins on you know cans and the sure. margins on what goes through a tap room versus what goes out for distro and that. And I think know. there's a lot of misunderstanding about that too. When people hear about margins of that type of thing, they're not really getting the whole picture of what it costs. They're getting probably getting costs of goods sold. Um, and you know, that's one thing, but then we have 30 employees and we, they, we provide partial payment for their health insurance and mm-hmm. you know, we have overhead costs that aren't factored into the, the quote unquote margins that a lot of people are hearing on that. So it can get, it can get, very confusing to people without the right context for that. I think uh, Gary Gully over at Alarmist Brewing, you know, he he kind of pointed out to me, you know, the, he said the dumbest move he made was two year, you know, two years in, and he didn't have a tap room, you know, right. and he's like, I could be selling my beer straight to the consumer and can or tap, you know, and that wasn't a th- keeping, you know, my profit, you know, a my couple money. of years ago, that wasn't a thing. Though. Right. Like that's right. a, that's a very recent occurrence in the last three years, probably where a tap room was like, became more appealing to people than a, a good craft beer bar. Yeah. So when we open, we still don't have a tap room. We have a bottle shop now. We it's bought a building to put a tap room in. Respect you guys. Well, well, we've always been a weird mix of package too. Like we were at the old brewery, we were 95% bomber and 5% draft, which is just mind boggling to some people. Yep. And, uh, I can't speak to the real, the hundred percent, the reason we did that, that was more of a Garrett and BJ's decision, but it worked out phenomenally for us because that was, people were being much more willing to buy bombers and this shelf space was expanding significantly for craft beer sections. And we had beers to put in there that we're really proud of. And that had some interesting artwork on them. And so we got to, people got to know us through that instead of, it's also, a, we were doing, everything was over 8%. So if you were going into a bar, like you're going to, people are going to pull through that keg a lot slower than pulling through a four and a half percent something from someone else right. or 6%. So, uh, and we also were always a very visual company with the, the labels and everything. BJ has a degree in fine art. 
Always wonderful labels. Yeah. It's always been, you got a strong label game. Here, <laughs> well, here Kate, Kate just took over as our creative director and she's doing a fantastic job with all the glassware stuff, all the, the new labels, all the labeled cans are kind of her direction. I feel like Kate's uh, getting a lot of love in this episode. We should have <laughs> had her sit in on it. Yeah. We should have just threw her in on this. Kate's fantastic. Kate's an incredibly she's doing talented it big. person. Yeah, she wrote a bunch of recipes, used to be a brewer for us, has moved into the creative development part. All the new merch we're doing is kind of driven by her and what she finds cool. Uh, nice. Yeah. She's, got, she's a trailblazer. She's a yeah. She's a trendsetter. Is what definitely. It is. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Yeah. That's uh. It's nobody took up more shelf space in a tractor <laughs> store than Pipeworks. Right. You know. Uh-huh. Like that. That combines with what we talked about earlier too. With the you know that you made different beers all the time. Right. And it was like well, they were always good. So it was people wanted. And more of them. I think we, we were very lucky to have like these kind of spandrels, which you know, like a, an aqueduct has like these arches and then like in between that there's like a triangle. It's not like it's part of the design just by the nature of how it is. It's not put there intentionally. So we don't have these spandrels of things where like, well, we're small. Uh, we don't make a lot of beer, so we can do these things. And, the, and we, we're making them so quickly, we can't use one artist for everything. So we need to have multiple people working on multiple beers at a time. So we had this wide array of art partially because we loved having the different art and partially out of necessity. And so I think part of partially what happened, a lot of partially isn't that, um, I'm okay with, we, we, we looked like a different brewery quite often to people (laughs) when people were trying, uh, going from being very brand loyal to say Budweiser, I only drink Bud to being almost on brand loyal to almost anything, just trying everything from any other brewery. We looked very different on the shelf accidentally. Uh, and so we would get, but it worked. Uh, yeah, we, it worked really well. And then people would turn and be like, Oh, it's a bike beer. So it, the first impression was, this is new. And then the second impression was like, Oh, it's a brand I trust. So, okay. uh, I, again, we have did no market research on that. That's just something kind of intuitive. Also working at, uh, uh, Benny's while we were on like that real steep incline of uh, p- being paid attention to recent locally. Uh, I would watch people do that type of thing. Yeah. And then, then I would sell them a bunch of other pipe works beers. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. 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 Take advantage of your situation. Of course. It's, it's a... Abuse of my $8 an hour power. You son of a bitch. <laughs> all your integrity that you built up through yeah. the hour that we've been talking, all gone now. Yeah. All gone now. Now I'm just sitting here <laughs> judging you. Yeah, good. It's, it, well, you know, the real me now. Now, how do you guys feel now with the, you know, the, the movement on the, especially on the pale ale side or pretty much anything besides sours and stouts, you know, it's like get out of those bombers and get into cans like 16 ounce cans yeah. I and mean, obviously you guys do those well as well now we yeah we started doing printed cans about three years ago and now we're doing labeled cans of like smaller batch one off stuff uh, <clears throat> we still do a lot of bombers um i think the we probably we do more bombers now than we did ever at the old brewery but the bulk of our production now is cans uh just by the nature of how the brewery has grown yeah. Um, Lizard King, Little Citra, Guppy stuff. Yeah, Ninja versus uh, Unicorn. Ninja. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it can't just make a lot of sense uh, for how people consume beer like that. Um, bombers make sense for the kind of the, the rarer, higher alcohol stuff. Yes. But, um, and again, we were talking about how like people make what they want to drink. And we drank a lot of 9% beer at the old place, but uh, we kind of, you know, sometimes your liver says you got to start making four-pack cans, but. Take it easy, guys. <laughs> yeah. Take her easy. So now what we're really interested in, we, we love doing the hoppy stuff and, like, the, the the stuff we've been known for, but what we're really interested in now is making lagers. <laughs> yeah. So Why we not? made a Pilsner recently that was, like, a fantastic Pilsner. They take a long time. Like, the, our lager takes uh, up to three months in the tank. Some of that is yep. trying to find bright tank space for it, but that's actually how long the lager needs to lager Dedication. for. Uh, and if we're going to do it, we want to do it 
well and do it right and not just crank one out in a couple of weeks and call it a lager when really it's just a pale ale with a quick fermenting lager yeast that wasn't lagered. That was a, that's a rough uh, bottom line bottom line picture there because yeah. you know it's like i remember a couple of years ago people or maybe a year ago people were like oh the next thing you're gonna see is the lockers and the pills and you know, it's, it's back it's coming back right. you know, it's big again and then i had a lot of guys be like bullshit because yeah. nobody's gonna take that time and nobody's gonna stop that ipa money coming through the tap handles right. and coming off the cans and all that so it's like yeah i'm sure they want to do that and like i you know to a man you talked about drew earlier drew when drew was on the show you know he 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 was the first one to break down to me like he's like I'm, i don't want to go to fests and you know drink a bunch of barrel-aged beer for 10 hours <laughs> right like I want, I'm, I'm there looking for the pilsner in the lot yep. like who the hell brought one yeah and it's very rare you know like very few people you're hoping dovetails there or something <laughs> right, you know right. so you can go check them out but uh i think it's an interesting concept of you know that balance of business and like what i like to drink and what i like to to make right i think there also has to be from our side an expectation of what it means to be the next big thing there it is so unlikely that there'll be another style of beer that will be as popular as ipa uh in america ever from craft breweries it's just taken up so much mind share already and people are so familiar with it that to uh push past that with any other style of beer would be uh, very impressive uh and would have to be it was a naturally unifying thing that all breweries made IPAs, so people would go to everyone and have like a similar experience. Obviously, different levels of quality and bitterness and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. it was something that every brewery was making, and I don't know if there's ever going to be a thing again that every brewery you hear about is making this this style. Don't tell John Laffler that. <laughs> what, what does he think's going to happen? John, no, John Laffler just doesn't make ipas <laughs> oh no they're, they're one of the only people i know who said we're ne- who actually went on record be like we're never going to make an ipa and then never made an ipa uh but i was at a festival then this weekend and uh one of them was like pouring poured me something i'm like what is this of way more hops than you normally use and i was like is this an ipa and like no it's just apex predator i'm like gotcha that's like there like, yeah if you drink apex sneak predator sneak it in there it's hilarious because it's amazing it's got like that it's a great Saison, it's a little bit hoppier than normal Saison, and it's hazy, so you could mm-hmm. trick someone into it. Totally. I think it's all those bubblegum phenolics from the Saison yeast where it's, you could trick someone into thinking that was like a it hazy. It tricks idea. me when I drink it. It's you know? fantastic, yeah. 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 Um, I think he did say that like, they made one like really like backhandedly like with, with someone else <laughs> like years a year or two ago. I think, they, I think they made a beer called like Alpha Kang. And no, they, they, did, uh, the name. they did uh, Alpha, Alpha Alpha King. Yeah, the Alpha Wise Alpha Acre, Three Fluids. John was just on like last month, so, oh, nice. so oh, I sat down with him at the Mouse Trap the other day, and he, you know, he he loved uh, he gave a little love to fight pipe works just based on the the Dickens, you know, yeah, the, the, the geographic this, this crew, this little area. He's talking about how you guys kind of share some space. Basically. Yeah, we have a back patio that we all yeah. hang out on. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but he was fun to listen talk to, you know, because he was honest and he just, yeah. you know. Like he, he, it wasn't negative. It was just you know he had his he had his set opinions, and, right. and, and, and I think that's okay. I think it's fine. Yeah, that's, that's ne- fine. necessary. Uh-huh. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah. Man. So just just the real the realness, I guess is, is yeah. what it was. I mean, to be fair, the everyone in Chicago is introduced to acidic beers more or less by them. So. Yeah. Like they you, do a fucking great job of it. They do. I just, had, just had an eek the other night. I mean, yeah. the eek, how cool is that? Like yeah. that whole story, you know, just with the with high life and or with Miller and all that. Like yep. getting that to happen. You know? Yeah, they're and super they, cool. They introduced me. Like I didn't know what a table beer was before. <laughs> you know, yeah. where I had found little friends or something. Yeah, uh, so just awesome beers. 
Yeah, I feel like people don't realize the breadth of what they actually do, too. You'll know them for maybe Troublesome or, or, yeah. or Apex Predator, but they're doing well, some... Dinosaurs, I feel like, almost hurts his feelings. <laughs> how good it, right. it, the, the beer it is. Oh, like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, they, he told that story, too. They brewed it overseas, and then they're yeah. like, all right, we'll brew it here. And I, I, Honestly, it's my favorite beer. <laughs> I, felt, I felt guilty thinking that, you know, yeah. saying that. It's funny. It just shows you how capable they are of doing all those different things, so... When they finally break down and make an IPA, but it's gonna be great. <laughs> right. so people will line up around the block, and he's like, "No, yeah, no, they're not going to, and I won't." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, come on, just do. It. I just want to see. I just want to see what'll happen. Like for science, just do yeah. it for science. For science. Uh, so, I mean, do you get involved? I mean, we talked a little bit about like recipe writing and stuff. And you said Kate, Kate, right? Kate, no, Kate does Kate's the part creative directed direction stuff for like labels and all that stuff. She's part of recipe. You said she used to brew, and so, she also yeah, we used to have a much a very. Uh, flat organizational structure for that type of thing we would have a meeting where literally everyone in the brewery sat down and could pitch ideas and nice. if we thought we could make it and make it taste good we, could, we would do it it's kind of logistically impossible to do that now with the yeah. nature of everyone's jobs but we have a similar thing um where anyone who's like even involved remotely in beer production can pitch an idea that they want um and then i usually we have a handful of people who write recipes i tend to be the one who like makes the final edits on them okay uh just for like logistical sakes and for being like well we use this brand of this and can we interchange those this comes in this size and this comes okay. yeah and be like this is too much plus if you're uh, procuring most of it it's yeah good that you have the well and, and like we can't actually there's some ingredients where like we just can't get yeah. those type that hop um so how do we recreate that experience um so i yeah i do the final edits on that type of stuff and then uh, I write. I wrote that recipe actually. The Hip Supreme Hypster Beast Mode. It's really well done, by the way. Oh, thank you. That, uh, I mean, I know I'm sitting right in front of you. But <laughs> I was telling you before, like we had that the Brunekornski was great. Yeah. I, was, I I felt like you know Pipeworks when when I had the the Mars the Mars collab that yeah. you guys was King of Borg. King of Borgs. King of Borgs, yeah. Borgs. You know. So I'm um, I'm drinking that beer and I'm like, God, it's a shame they did this beer just. You know, I felt like I felt like it was like we're gonna use Mars to keep us out of being a full hazy, thing, you know, like <laughs> staying out of it. Like Mars and us did it together, so we didn't technically do one. Yeah, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. No, it wasn't that at all. We brewed that here, but th- they're also people who we really respected who were making those types of beers. So we're trying to figure I out what they did. I love their how beer. do we make the beers that we like? And that was, Tim, Tim down there is fantastic. We loved him. Is Tim the one with the sweet mustache? I'm trying to think. Who uh, I think that's Eric. Eric. Tim, okay. Tim's got the red beard. Okay. Yeah. I haven't gotten them yet. They're like the one, like the Chicago holdout. I just can't get them. I just, no. yeah. Okay, we'll see. If we I've talked to Ed a couple times, but you know he's super <laughs> busy. He does his own media stuff. Oh it's yeah, like, he's, you know. he's he's hilarious. I think you want to talk to Tim down there too. Yeah, yeah Tim would be a good resource. Uh, but yeah, so like we worked with our friends. We've done uh, hazy beers that looked like that. We just never build them as hazy. Right, right. We did a beer New with England IPA. Whatever, yeah, we, dry hop. We did a beer that. with uh, Innerboro a while back. They were someone who was making hazy beers in New York that we really yeah. enjoyed. Um, so that was like kind of the first foray into, foray into anything that had those that type of uh, characteristic. What was the Brunekornski? Who was that? The, the, the Bruski? Bruski, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. in Sweden. How uh, does that? How does something like that formulate? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. We're, we're just friends with Marcus Joe Gabavi, who works here specifically. His title is technically janitor, but he's written the uh, or awesome. custodian. Uh, but he wrote that Joe recipe. Gabapi. He wrote that recipe. Uh, he wrote the the Pilsner recipe. 
um, and he's doing a lot of that type of stuff. He's worked here almost as long as I have. Oh yeah. Um, and he's like, he's a very he's technically, mi- technically, yeah, that's what he chose to put on his business card. Uh, he's a very technically minded guy. So he's like a maintenance guy and like fixes all the stuff that breaks down, but also writes recipes and writes some of the, the more interesting stuff we're doing right now. How valuable are those guys to have around? <laughs> Incredibly I mean, valuable. Jesus. Oh, it's oh. one thing to know how to brew something, but to like be able to work around the shit goes wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, when we started out, uh, we needed everyone to do everything. So everyone came because they were interested in making beer or like recipe development and that kind of thing. But you figured out quickly what people were good at and how, like if you had to have at least a couple other skills to like keep showing up and keep volunteering and be valuable. And, uh, we all kind of fell into the lane that we fell into just by nature of what we were doing. And so everyone here is capable of uh, at least having the idea of what would be a great flavor combination. And most people are capable of also go- following that through to full recipe creation. But uh, we have a creative group, really creative group of people here. It looks like it. It looks like it. <laughs> so uh, speaking of that, we, I probably should have brought this up when we were talking earlier but about the, uh, you know, tasting and all that. Like you talked about handing it off to people, maybe when you're blending your tasting glasses together, like, do you guys have a system in place at all, like where you give them a piece of paper and a rating system and then you get a group together? Do you pull people from the production line and the offices and, you know, like we want to know everybody? We'll do that. Um, excuse me. We'll do that for choosing FOBAB entries because um, there's such a disparate, like, palette there. But for the blends that come out of the barrel room, it's very unscientific okay. after that. Um yeah, it's just me blending those, blending them together, and then I'll usually come out with two separate blends, maybe three, and be like, which one do you like better? And not even to be like, what do you taste in this? But just be like, which one do you mm-hmm. just hedonistically respond to and like better? Um, and then that, that's just seeing if we can make something new new and different slightly, make it in, improve on what we've done in the past. But no, there's no regimented, uh, like, triangle testing or anything like that for the barrel-aged blends. Okay. Um, yeah. No, yeah, no system in place. Like, you know, I've heard stuff from like Old Goose or like Budweiser, even, you know, that, you know, they have a sheet zero, one, and two, you know, give it to everybody, somebody from the lab, somebody from the, you know, if you got a brew pub, you know, one of the waitresses, and you get them them all together, you know, zero is just nope. One is like, okay, maybe we can blend this with something else. Two is, you know, this is probably good. At yeah, yeah. I, I know like New Belgium does that with their like sour program too, where it's like. I think that was in reference to Wild. I believe it was Tom Corder over at Penrose was kind of yeah alluded to that. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, that stuff will be a lot more different batch to batch, barrel to barrel, and you'll have to blend to for different reasons. Uh, Jones Dog is going to taste more or less like Jones Dog by the time it's done getting barrel aged. So our blending is more an act of omission to be like, does this, this one barrel that I didn't think tastes as good. Does, can, is it noticeably make this blend worse? Not in any way that people can articulate, but, um, just does, do you like it less because that slip, the barrel I didn't find pleasing was in there. Keep it fairly simple. Like, yeah. is it good or is it bad kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Like that. Now, uh, barrel wise, when it comes to selection and that, like, what's that process like? I mean, do you get to go, somewhere and look or is it like we got a few barrels of elijah craig 12 year like do you want them do you not want them like, what's yeah the process like for you almost everything we have is in a as a heaven hill barrel um and we've been working with uh, a guy who's a little out of his mind but like a real like beautiful soul that's been like a barrel broker for since that term even existed um i think he sold goose island their first barrels when they were doing that kind of stuff incredible and, 
yeah, but he's he's wacky. It's like usually a cash up front kind of guy and <laughs> doesn't doesn't really send invoices and uh, but w- we ask for you know the oldest barrels he's got at the time and they're always fresh and they're always here on time even though he's a little he's a little you, you're always like Tom, are you gonna get them here and it's like yeah yeah they'll be there yeah. and then they're, Just they're know usually they'll be here they're usually there um, we also use a couple other brokers we, we've never hand selected like barrels I don't I don't think it's really an option for the amount of barrels that anyone's getting. Um, we have had people that have hand selected bourbons for like their, their personal stash or their restaurant or their, uh, liquor store that have given us those barrels, um, which is kind of cool. Um, so, but now the selection process is just, uh, usually through a broker and then it's because we haven't, we've been buying barrels from this guy for five or six years. I'm able to ask for, you know, 12 year old barrels or nine plus year old barrels and mm-hmm. almost always get them, which I find is a very important it's gotta feel good. aspect to it. Uh, it feels good, but it just makes the, the beer taste better. Yeah, right. No, but I mean, you know, just to have that peace of mind of like, I should be able to do this. It yeah. gives you a little more, right. you, you know, uh, I don't know. You can plan better, I guess. Sure. You know. And and the the barrel is not just a, a vessel to hold it in for us. It's actually, it's an ingredient. So you want them fresh for and sure. you want like the specific ones you want. Just in uh, case anybody's confused, when you say fresh, you're kind of talking like fresh dumped, basically. Yeah. Like, yep. bourbon just got out of those and yeah. put into bottles or whatever, yep. you know. Yeah, and it gets to us relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, for both because the, the the wood will be fresher, but also there will be less of that oxidative character that ends up in the beer because the staves won't be dried out, um, which is a huge, huge factor. Yeah. We want some of that, but we don't want a lot of it. Um, and so the barrel space. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, uh, the type of bourbon and the age is, is super important. You can't always get that with most brokers. They won't tell you how old it is. Uh, they'll tell you, oh, really? yeah, the, the, and they won't tell, they, they'll usually tell you what distillery it came from. But like we were saying before, those brands come in the blending process. So not in like, it doesn't have Elijah Craig on the barrel. When they it don't make us. Elijah Craig. They make bourbon, and then they decide that make, that bourbon is Elijah Craig. Make bourbon Craig. with mash that the rye mash bill, and then wherever it was in the warehouse tends to be more likely going to be Elijah Craig. Um, but uh, <coughs> excuse me, but um, it's really based on how it tastes and tasting panels that they do. Okay. Um, so the older it is, the more likely it actually was to be Elijah Craig. <laughs> uh, so we asked for. We always ask for 12-year-old barrels. They don't make Elijah Craig 12-year-old. It's called small batch now. Okay. We're usually getting 9- to 11-year-old barrels, which is great. Like the some st- like Buffalo Trace doesn't have an age statement, but back when I was getting really into it, I think six years was like the, the eight oldest things that were going in there. Yeah. I mean, so we just leaned towards Heaven Hill. That's what our, our broker was getting us, and we've, we've done very well with it. So we have some Buffalo Trace, some Four Roses, um some some other distilleries some smaller stuff but mostly it's just having hill in there so it does it does play a huge factor what type of bourbon was in that in I, that barrel i i feel it does yeah um i'm a much when when using a barrel for beer i'm a much bigger fan of rye heavy bourbons than of wheat heavy bourbons okay um i know everyone loves Pappy van winkle that's a wheat heavy bourbon and we i've never had the privilege of using one of those barrels but everything else we've used that's weeded has had less of a um an impactful flavor on it. So we usually tend to blend that with a rye forward bourbon barrel aged beer too. Okay. So just, just for some fun, I mean, I know we, we've been talking for an hour and a half now and I'm <laughs> sure you got other stuff to do. So, so just real quick, I know when we, when I walked through the, the garage door today, you were saying you were just coming back from a, a fest. Like where were, where were you guys at now? Uh, we were up at the bee nectar festival, uh, it's outside of Detroit and Ferndale. Uh, they're like a meadery 
been around for it's their 10 year anniversary yeah which is pretty wow. crazy yeah um they make good stuff they make really good stuff not a huge meat i don't know a bunch about meat yeah. but i mean yeah you well, have a good one it's like whoa yeah well, they like i don't know they anyone do else it. who's doing like session meads like they're doing they're like session five mead. five and a half percent alcohol like the, yeah they're really really refreshing too zombie killers one of my was one yep. of my favorite zombie beverages killer. period that uh, one that people accidentally find when they're looking for zombie dust or <laughs> probably I think it's called zombie something <laughs> yeah it was a great festival got like a lot of people uh from around the country and around the world brusco brusky which we did that collaboration with in yeah. sweden was there uh you know mckellar jay wakefield uh three floyds is right next to us bells founders uh, off color was there uh there's a lot of people that like we're friends with from the industry. Tampa Bay Brewing Company, cool guys down from Florida. Nice. Uh, Garden Path Fermentation, which was great, which is the new Ron Extract uh, project. She was the a guy, pretty big influence at Jester King. Jester, okay. Very nice guy. Very cool couple. Him and his his uh, partner Amber. Uh, just to have a bunch of fooders up there in the Pacific Northwest with a bunch of yeast that they like propped up uh, from nice. the surrounding area. Yeah. So yeah, really cool festival. Got back late last night. <laughs> a little late. It yeah. seemed like, did you say 2 a.m.? Yeah. Like <laughs> little, it might have been a little earlier <laughs> yeah. than that, but I rolled in a little late to work. You said you even hit a, did you just see Chris out at Transient or, or did you go to Transient? You went to Transient. We went to too. Transient on the way up and then we went to Transient on the way back nice. too. Because <laughs> when in Rome, why, yeah, why right. would you not? It's on the it? way. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is a, a good friend of ours. I love Chris. He actually has our old canning line. Yeah, but not our depot. So you can, when you talk to him, you can ask about that. <laughs> he has. So, I mean, I've, I t- I haven't talked to him since like the end of March. But you know, we kept saying we'll try to do this. But yeah, yep. I mean, he's f- such good friends with all the everybody that's been on this podcast. You yeah, know, like all the different guys from like Workforce and, and Hailstorm and a lot of the local guys. But Steve Miller over at Hailstorm now, <laughs> you know, formerly a Slapshot in that. Yeah. Uh, so it's you know, eventually, hopefully, we get to sit down. He is one of the busiest people I've ever I heard. Heard, interacted with. But uh, <laughs> yeah, ask him about why he didn't buy the Pipeworks depot. You. What's the deep deep palate? Uh, the depalletizer for the cans. What what does that do? Like I don't it, even, uh, yeah, school you, you me. Get a, you get a pallet of cans. You put it in there, and then um, it will push them into the the canning line. So okay. it will slowly push them off the top and onto this conveyor belt, and then go through the twist rinse into the can. Oh, I know, line. I know that piece now. Yeah, I just I yeah. recently did a did a canning day, like you said, just hanging around, volunteering, volunteering. So I yeah. did hot butcher over at Miskatonic. Nice. You know, they brought out hot nice. to, uh, Miskatonic, so they brought in Michigan canning line. You know, yeah, and uh, and I, yeah, they they just kind of like kept feeding the cans upward off the pallets, yep. and then you get that, like you said, that roller coaster twist down, mm-hmm. and I just. Pack decking all day. Yeah, it's a good day. When we got our new, oh, that sounds fantastic. Fun day. <laughs> when we got our new canning line, it was going to be too fast for the manual depalletizer, so we tried. We, we just had it for a while. There's <laughs> a funny story about all right, me I'm making fun totally, of Chris on social I, media. Hopefully, I get to talk to him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can bust his balls. <laughs> yeah. So ask about the the depalletizer. The depalletizer. All right. So what's so what's next? You know, what do you guys got coming up? You got? Do you have releases? Like, what's the schedule like for, on your end for like the barrel age stuff? Uh, so we haven't been announcing our releases up until now, just to see kind of. I, I was interested in seeing if there was no hype behind them, if people still liked them at all. If it just showed up at the bottle shop, like at the dojo, yeah. you come in, like maybe you post it in the morning, like, hey, at 11, 12 o'clock, whatever uh, Yeah, I mean, all we've done in the past is actually just send it out to our friends with benefits list, which is a group of people who gave us money on Kickstarter like six or seven years ago. That's cool. And then seeing how, it was also a test of how uh, how much reach does just word of mouth actually have. Um, and see if we just told these people how quickly would it get through the beer nerd community. Um, it, it, it's surprisingly quick, but, um, we're going to be announcing them because we're making so much more of it. It's still a small amount of what we do, 
but um, there's just more than for the You're people. You're not quite Bourbon them. County yet? No, <laughs> not, not even close. Um, so we're, we're going to start just like letting people know what we have in stock at, like once or twice a month. To, like come out. No, still no big release days. Uh, just personally, we don't. We're not a fan of that. Not trying to get into that whole thing. Yeah, I don't. I, it's, it's dirty. Don't, it, it's but you'll get you'll get hate for that too for not doing it as yeah. much as you would for doing a bad <laughs> one. And, and when you say bad one, it doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. It just necessarily seems like two people perceived it as bad and then right. posted exactly. it exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so we also I've talked to brewers from literally across the country who have had the sentiment of man, I wish that this beer didn't sell out so fast so I could give it to my regulars and the people who show up all the time. And I'm like, you absolutely can do that. Just put it on, like, so the, our approach is more put it on sale, and then after a couple of weeks of, like, regulars and stuff who have come to the brewery, if they actually want the beer, maybe, so most of them don't really care as much. They just want something yeah. to drink that week, um, which is great. Uh, then kind of let people know it's around, but I, I don't see the need to do the huge release. We, we won't, so uh, I, don't, I can't really fathom people really enjoy standing in line that long, so... I'm sure the line is a fun cultural thing. It is. It is. It can be fun. Yeah. It can be done. It can be very not fun too. But, yeah. But I mean, I've definitely been in some crazy lines that were cool. You yeah. Know, you're, you're like, man, it's the best bottle share I've ever been to. I'm, you know, I'm totally sure. But we want to stay away from the like these guys are just doing it to get the line mentality because we, yeah. we 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 dealt with that a lot when we're like you guys just make so little beer so that it's it's rare we're like. No man, we, we only ha- we only have a seven barrel brew house, so <laughs> we we could make more. We would. That's something I like to champion, you know, in my own little way. You know, now now with the podcast, there's more, I get a little more exposure and a little bit of an audience, but at the same time, you know, now when I talk to people, I try to explain that because a lot of people have that like misconception. Well, they're just making it so it looks rare. Like, no, it's probably yeah because these are small. I mean, there might be some I, people that do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. not saying that. that's not the thing that's ever happened, but yeah, I I just it's it's would be more the exception than the rule it's very flattering that people operation i I think people really dug down into why they thought people were doing that the the logic would fall apart like you think it sounds cool to rant and rave about it (laughs) sure but you you sound like you're in the know we're so aware of the market Mm -hmm. that we're like if we only make five barrels of this then then we can only then we can make seven next year and then we can make 50 the following year and then like no and it's none of that it's just (laughs) that we're making as much as we can possibly get to people that want it yeah um i think that's what most people are doing. I can't say for everyone, but I think most people would rather have people have the beer and try it than be like, we're going to withhold it so that the hype builds up. Fuck yeah. I've yet to Screw meet Screw you people. Yeah, have you ever, I've yet to meet a brewery that actively does that or at least one that admits, admits it. it. Knows. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Burns is sitting in the back. <laughs> yeah, we want to withhold from you guys. Yes. Uh, you know, and I've, I've heard that too from other people saying, you know, like, God, I wish I could get it to my right like you can get it to your right you can figure it out like, yeah there's a way to do it yeah uh, there's a way to do it so everybody gets to play yeah um yeah the lines and stuff that's a, that's a different world it's like a yeah different, it's a different world yeah uh so with, with the how about um we talked about barrel age abduction and uh and jones dog what's uh end of days like what what's the difference on that is but, that was it jones dog at some point yep and, it gets aged as don't jones dog um, so it has the vanilla and cacao, and cacao in it before it goes in the barrel. And then similarly to like the coffee character, if that is like one that is a little bit more robust and can handle all the adjuncts that have to go into that one, which is like, usually depending on what is good, uh, three to five different chili peppers, it changes depending on what we can get our hands on and what we're feeling that time, cinnamon. Uh, and so there was an end of days recently with like blueberry or something, right? Or is coffee. that coffee? 
I, th- I saw, I saw, I had a blueberry pipe work, you know, something barrel aged on tap uh, at Sovereign in Plainfield. And it, the blue, it the only thing we done with blue, uh, was it the Encore? The Encore, there it is. Yeah, That's the one. That I had blueberry had. Yes. and coffee. Yes. That was, was dope. That, yeah, <laughs> thanks. That's aged unreal. as um, the Grand Guggenau and then blueberries and coffee get added to it. I think that might have been my first barrel aged pipe works, possibly. Oh, I mean, really? I, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not big in the scene of like, you know, trading in, in secondary and. Yeah. Uh, like I just know my buddy Mike will give up a lot of what he holds dear to get a Pipeworks barrel-aged beer, whether yeah. it be Jones Dog or whatever. Or so, and he's like one of my most trusted beer friends. So, you know, we, my wife and I went out to dinner, and this, that was on the menu, and we we split, like, the big pour of that there. Yeah. And fuck, was it? It was so good. And Thank then, you. And then, you know, since then, I've been lucky enough to be at Shares where Jones Dog and that has come up. But Yeah, well, that, that beer is super cool for us because it was uh, – usually we do – for most of the coffee stouts we do, it's cold extracted coffee. I think we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Um, but that one... That was before we started rolling, I think. Uh, we were talking about the coffee, the hot yeah. coffee versus the... Yeah. Well, we're very close friends with Dark Matter and use their expertise a lot for trying to get unique coffee flavor. So for that one, we actually had them hot extract the coffee at like four times the concentration that they normally would so that we wouldn't put a lot of, uh, a lot of water back into the beer, okay. water it down. Uh, and specifically had them do that to get more fruit and berry flavor out of the coffee we chose. So it would, uh, blend in nicely with the blueberry that was actually going in there. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was one of those, you know, game changing beers for me where it was like, well, it's got everything. You know, it was thick, the right kind of thick and yeah. that flavor and all that. You. And you know, when your wife is all about barrel aged beers all of a sudden, <laughs> it's so nice for her to see her face when she tries that. Yeah. Cause it has all those like bourbon notes, all the vanilla notes, all the coconut. And then it also has some in the city from the blueberries and fruitiness. And then the coffee rounds all that stuff out. Yeah. I got a lot of love for that one. Oh, um, thank you. So, I mean, I don't know, we've covered just about everything we could probably possibly cover, and I know I've almost got two hours of your time in here, but uh, the, the one little thing I always like to ask about is, is uh, like, the we talked about aging stuff. Like, is coffee really the first thing to go, basically, when you're talking, if you hold on to something too long? In a long? bottle? Yeah, like, if you just hold uh, on to it. Um, as a consumer, I would imagine I so, and what ends up happening is coffee and CO2 don't particularly like each other. Green onion, is that, that's what I've heard uh, Green before. bell pepper can be, but that, that's usually an extraction problem, um, of the way that the, the brewer put it in there. Um, but I've, the way we you, we put our coffee in there is supposed to be the way that extracts green bell pepper, and we've never really had a problem with it. Mm. Um, so typically, people say whole bean, and it's less likely to get the green bell pepper character. Okay. At least as far as my understanding, we use a pretty coarse, we use a coarse ground because we get more extraction of coffee flavor out of it. We've never yeah. really had a green bean. A green Opens it up and actually imparts a little more. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's also, it seems more efficient for uh, extracting flavor out of yeah. it than you have to use twice as much whole bean coffee. With a sealed um, bean, you know, almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want it ground really fresh though. If you let it, uh, well, you want it, uh, roasted probably a couple of days before you actually grind it and then ground pretty fresh. Um, if you use it, it's good to be friends with dark matter. Yeah. If you use it super, super fresh off the roaster, you'll get a lot of that, uh, a lot of that green character as well. It also has to, most people don't realize coffee has to off gas. There's it releases CO2 after it's been roasted. So that's why that, that little, that little valve on the front of your coffee bag is on there. Oh, yeah. So that CO2 can get out. Okay. But CO, but co- liquid coffee also doesn't like CO2. Uh, so that can cause like metallic characteristics. So the robustness of the coffee will go away over time and it might, it might taste more metallic. Oh, okay. See, I'm just trying to learn. Sure. I'm just trying to learn. Yeah. 
Uh, Mike, is there anything you want, else you want to cover with with Pipeworks? I mean, uh, no, I think that no? I think we covered most of it. <laughs> we did some things. Yeah, we talked a little bit. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I thank you for sitting down and doing this. It was yeah, awesome. It's good. Good day for me. Finally, get to come out here and check it out and talk to somebody that's deep in the game. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. You just watch your Oaken Oaken Nap leadership and, <laughs> and watch you grow. Sure. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, cheers. Cheers.